Hair is so overrated. Sure, at first it grows, but eventually it goes. Be Bald Man Care products have quickly risen to the top of the leaderboard when it comes to skin care for men without. Search the web for bald products and discover what your bald brethren already know. Be Bald products are the single source skin care solution for both your head and face. Listen to what our customers are saying. The Be Bald products are terrific. I'm not entirely bald, but I still use them on my head and my face, and they last an incredibly long time. My wife loves the scent. She said she'd follow it anywhere. I love the scent of the cleanser. I bought it for my boyfriend, and he liked it so much, I bought all the other B-Bald products, too. Thanks, B-Bald. You rock. Go to B-Bald.com right now to receive an additional 20% off just for trying us. Type in coupon code B-Bald at checkout. That's B-E-E-B-A-L-D. This offer is only for a limited time. Go to B-Bald.com. That's B-E-E-B-A-L-D.com now. Hey everybody, it's Richard Hunter, and uh, if you're listening to this episode of Phone Booth Fighting on Friday, the day that it uploads, we're getting it to you a few hours later than we normally do, and for that, Frank and I sincerely apologize, but I've got an excuse, and it is a good one. A couple of excuses. First of all, Frank uh, got sick this week, so we were a day late taping. We taped a day later than we normally do during the week, so that was part of it. Uh, Credit to him for gutting through it, though, even though he's under the weather and you're going to hear it in his voice. He's got a little bit of cough, but uh, he he hung tough. It got through the episode this week. That was part of it. That put me behind. But also today, again, Friday here in Las Vegas, was media day for UFC's Fight Night card. Cody Garbrandt and uh, Thomas Almeida headlining Sunday night, a rare Sunday night Fox Sports 1 card from Las Vegas here at Mandalay Bay. So I was out all day at uh, open workouts, and I got a bunch of audio for you guys from those open workouts. So the bad news is we're a few hours late getting uploaded on Friday. The good news is right at the end of the podcast, you're going to hear some bonus content, if you will, not only from UFC Fight Night, Media Day, uh, where you'll hear me talk to the likes of uh, Cody Garbrandt, uh, Hennon Burrell, Jeremy Stevens, Aljamain Sterling, and Brian Caraway. But also, again, right toward the end of the episode, is a bonus interview with Jorge Masvidal, Gamebred, who I caught up with uh, just this very morning. So uh, basically the morning after Frank and I taped, I was able to uh, talk to Gamebred one-on-one. We did a phoner interview and then went out to open workouts and uh, talked to the guys that I mentioned just a second ago. So we're putting all that audio right at the end of the podcast. You will be rewarded if uh, you hang with us throughout the episode. Uh, Certainly if you want a little bit of a primer for the card going down Sunday night on Friday, Fox Sports 1 here in Las Vegas. So just uh, a little excuse or two from me. Hope you don't mind that uh, we're, we're a few hours late. We appreciate your loyalty. I know a lot of you guys like to have this thing up Friday morning for your commute to work. I should say, I guess, uh, our friends overseas are going to be the first ones to probably catch it this time around, given the uh, late hour Friday that I'm uploading. So for you guys, uh, for all our friends abroad, we say uh, thank you, and, and uh, you guys get to hear it first this time around. But uh, thanks for your patience, and without further ado, enjoy this episode of Phone Booth Fighting. Oh, 
You're listening to Phone Booth Fighting, your weekly source for mixed martial arts talk and talk of the world beyond (laughs) with myself, Richard Hunter, and the two-time UFC heavyweight champion who's a little under the weather this week. It's Frank Muir. Frank, how are you feeling? A little sniffly? Yeah, a little bit of a chest cold there. Oh, no. Oh, no. All right. Well, uh, props to you for uh, uh, fighting through it. You know, you will you will quickly learn in the world of podcasting that that business of mixed martial arts, that's not the only arena where you have to gut it up and fight through and dig deep. Uh, it also uh, happens uh, in the world of podcasting, at least with uh, those of us who are serious about it. Uh, we've got uh, we've got a fun episode on tap for you. We're going to be joined here momentarily by the maniac Tim Sylvia. You remember him? Yeah, I do. You had a uh, you had an interesting date with him about 14 years ago. We're launching a new segment this week on phone booth fighting called Frank Mir on the Record. And uh, your your wife Jennifer came up with this awesome idea. We we're all sitting around a couple of uh, weeks ago, and she said, you know, you guys ought to get. Uh, former opponents of Frank's on the show. And I said, yeah, we could do it as like a installment series and see if we can collect them all. Because I think everybody's still alive at this point. I kind of ran down the record. Yeah, and, uh, I'm yeah. assuming so. Yeah, I think so. So uh, uh, I thought, yep, we'll start collecting them one by one, and then periodically we'll, we'll have somebody on. Sometimes it's going to be somebody you beat. Sometimes it's going to be somebody that beat you. Uh, but we'll we'll tell behind-the-scenes stories. So today, tonight, is going to be the first installment of that, and it's going to feature none other than uh, Tim Sylvia, the man you uh, took the belt off of the first time. Uh, we fight. It's brought up a lot. Yeah. We are uh, brought to you by Real Water. Get real at drinkrealwater.com. <laughs> Trent Cotney, trentcotney.com, supporting mixed martial artists the world over. And Be Bald, BeBald.com, B-E-E-Bald.com. You do not have to be bald to enjoy the Be Bald skincare products. Frank and I uh, are uh, evidence to that point. Uh, so we thank those folks for their support. Before we get to Tim Sylvia uh, on this week's episode, I got an interesting text from Demetrius Johnson Saturday. I think it was Saturday, Frank. Uh, Mighty Mouse sent me a text, and it said... Uh, Hey, can I get Frank's number? And I said, sure. I said, uh, now he's in Mexico. You were, by the way, happy birthday. Uh, uh-huh. Your birthday was uh, this week, and so you were celebrating it over the weekend in Mexico, right? And so uh, I said, well, yeah. I said he's in Mexico, so if he doesn't get right back to you, I don't know if his cell phone's working down there or whatever. Uh, then I'm sure he'll he'll get back to you as soon as he gets back, and then. Uh, Mighty Mouse texts me back and he says, no, I'm in Mexico and I just ran into Frank on the beach. Yeah, it was weird. What are the odds of that? Tell me what happened. Um, my friends, uh, Jennifer and I are friends, uh, Raymond and, uh, Sean. Yeah. Been, no regrets yeah. bar. Yeah. They, um, booked a trip for us to go out there and uh, celebrate my birthday and then kind of show us around. Uh, Cabo is kind of a, uh, uh, an area that Sean has been talking about a lot lately. Mm-hmm. She really likes going down there. She's made some connections. And then uh, same with Raymond. She brought him down there. He really liked the place. And so uh, we went down there. We flew in on a Friday and uh, spent some time on the boat. Tried to go Marlin uh, fishing for a little quick second, but didn't work out. And then uh, the next day, I would planned on, finally, I kind of got, you know, because it was my birthday, I told the wife, I'm like, okay, we're not dragging around and, and 
seeing all the sights and doing all these things, I, I literally just want to like eat and then just lay on the beach. Mm-hmm. <laughs> That's the true definition of vacation. Like I, I don't want to do anything. It takes, I don't want to burn more than a thousand calories. Yeah. Right and so, uh, while we were down there, uh, Demetrius, we ran into each other. It was crazy. So I invited him to come over to our spot and that night, you know, we all ate dinner together, uh, Raymond and, and John and uh, Demetrius and his wife, uh, destiny and mm-hmm. my wife, Jennifer. And, uh, you know, the next couple of days actually just all hung out. It was really cool. There's an awesome picture on uh, Frank's Instagram of this at the Frank mirror on Instagram of the two of you side by side <coughs> on the beach and, I don't know that there is a bigger size differential in all of the UFC seeing the two of you side by side. Yeah. And I was thinking right off the bat, I thought, because, you know, Demetrius has a, a, a very vivid imagination. And uh, we've had some fun with that when he's been a guest on phone booth fighting in the past. And I thought, you know what this looks like? This looks like like a crime fighting duo, these two, right? And I immediately started imagining the storyline in my head, you know, and it like a, like a comic book series. And of course you guys would go to exotic locales like Mexico, where maybe you're investigating a drug cartel or something like that. And, and there would be all these dynamics to the storyline where sometimes like you guys would need to, uh, you know, access a, uh, a small uh, wind, you know, you have to get unlock a door by getting in through a small window or something. So you would hold him up and he would get into that. But then sometimes you guys would have to, you know, have a lot of height to tackle something <laughs> that involved a feat of strength and you would do that. And the two of you would work together. Problem solving skills. You like my pitch? Yeah. I like it. Yeah. Well, I did pick him to be my tag team partner on the one. I told him that. I actually, because uh, we talked <coughs> about that last week on the show, and I said, hey, if it comes up, ask him about uh, this past week where he, you picked him to be your MMA tag team partner. Uh, the uh, the MMA latest guys that we were SWAT casting with last week posed a question to us, and the question was uh, if Frank was in an MMA tag team match against Brock Lesnar and Conor McGregor, who would you pick for your partner? And your choices were Demetrius Johnson, Sage Northcutt, and Yair Rodriguez. And you went with uh, Demetrius, despite the fact that uh, the other two guys were in Conor's, or closer to, I guess I should say, Conor's weight class. They were bigger guys. They would have been bigger guys. But uh, you went with uh, Demetrius for the for the all around skill set, right? Speed and, and you know, even though he's a little bit lighter, he's uh, you know still one of the best fighters in the world, pound for pound. Mm-hmm. Well, you know what? A well rounded <laughs> skill set is exactly what you need when you're fighting crime. Yeah. So that uh, that lead that uh, lends some credence to my uh, to my uh, my buddy comedy cop comedy uh crime fighting idea anyway the picture is uh on frank's instagram at the frank mirror and uh you can check that out and uh uh, i know frank you got a lot of uh, birthday wishes over uh, the last few days i saw you were inundated with those on social media so i guess i hope you saw all those hope those made you feel good it's always nice to be uh, loved, right? It is nice to be loved. My birthday is September 18th, by the way, if everybody wants to start getting ready for that one. <laughs> you want to know something What strange? would you do on your trip? Uh, what would I do? <coughs> yeah. What, what, like, what are some fun birthday plans? Uh, well, last year, I had my, uh, my birthday party at Kiss Mini Golf, across from the Hard Rock Cafe. Uh, George and Goes from MMA Junkie came, and uh, Angelo Reyes and Ana Hulatan, they were there. And because uh, you know uh, my love of Kiss, I and do. boy, my love of Kiss and this phone booth fighting podcast are about to collide hard. I almost don't want to reveal what that means yet. 
I almost just want to wait one more week until we do the big. Let's do this. Let's tease the big reveal for next week. What what could phone booth fighting and the legendary Hall of Fame rock band Kiss possibly have in common? Find out next week uh, on a very special episode of Phone Booth Fighting. But that's what I did for my birthday this uh, this past year. But I'll tell you something interesting about my my. Had to go uh, on the cruise one time. I, oh, I know the Kiss Cruise. You're absolutely right. I I would love to go on the Kiss Cruise, and I've never been uh, on a I've never been on a cruise at all. So uh, that seems like the one that I should uh, I yeah. should do. It'd be the the most up my alley. But uh, here's something interesting about my birthday. I was born. On the exact day, in the exact year, 45 minutes after Jimi Hendrix died. So within that hour, it was a a very pivotal hour (laughs) in that year, on September 18th. Jimi Hendrix was checking out, and I was checking in. He died in London. I was born in Fort Worth, Texas. I even one time did the math on this with the time time difference. difference, yeah. Yeah, I even factored it in to figure out how close I was. And uh, I was I was very close. It has always bothered me that my mother was completely unaware of that fact. It showed you what poor taste my parents uh, had in music. Because now she claimed she was busy. She claimed that at the moment there were other things on her mind. But I was like, how do you not know that that's happening? Just as you're giving birth to your only child. Well, also too, uh, media wasn't what it is. That's true. That's true. It's not like she was checking her Twitter uh, yeah. while she was in labor. That's a good point. That's a good point. Speaking of Twitter and Facebook, we'll do a round of uh, Facebook feedback, check in with uh, comments and uh, questions. And I wonder you guys who I, have. when I was being born, who died within oh, that time period. Well, we should look that up. Uh, so what, May 23rd? 24th. Tw- May 24th, 1979. Yep. Okay, we'll look that up. We'll see what historical uh, yeah, things kinda, happened on that day. All right, we'll kind of goes that. along with our... Uh, Fantasy death pool. Yeah, it kind of does. <laughs> Speaking of uh, fantasy death pool, I still uh, dead last. While I'm, yes, <laughs> neither one of us playing uh, in Doug Stanhope's celebrity death pool have scored. We have scored nary a point. So what I'm working for is that in the next season, fans or you know, celebrities that are on this list, uh-huh. they can pay me to pick them. Because obviously, <laughs> if you're on my list, you're not going to die. <laughs> I know. It speaks well for your uh, longevity. Well, speaking of that, I had uh, I, I was talking to Doug Stanhope, a uh, comedian who uh, the Celebrity Death Pool is named for, uh, and uh, this past week, and he's going to come on the show with us. He actually has a new book out uh, called Digging Up Mother, A Love Story. And uh, he's going to come on with us uh, sometime in the next couple of weeks. We'll talk with him. I told him, I said, yeah, we're going we're gonna to plug your book and all that kind of stuff. But mainly, Frank and I have to talk to you about this celebrity death pool we're competing in because uh, I have never had a worse season doing this <laughs> than this year when I got you involved. And Sorry, the, man. I'm the, I'm the uh, bad I mean, luck charm. You really are. We're approaching mid-season and not one kill between the two of us. So <laughs> uh, we'll be talking to Doug about that in uh, uh, the Is there a weeks. point system for not picking anybody is there do you mean like do you get like a booby prize yeah. like for coming to dead like boy you should not only just losing but like losing perfectly yeah like i'm not talking about going like you know two and you know 15 i'm saying like you know you went winless the whole season man there really should be something for that you know what i should lobby for it before it's too late <laughs> and uh i come in uh tied with you dead last for the season let's uh let's do this uh before we uh we talk about uh 
the uh, what's going on uh, present day in the world of MMA. We got a big fight card to look at uh, this coming weekend, a fight night card that'll be going down Sunday night uh, here in Las Vegas, uh, headlined by Thomas Almeida and uh, Cody Garbrandt. Uh, we got some other things to talk about too, but it is time now to welcome on the maniac, the former UFC heavyweight champion, two former UFC heavyweight champions uh, about to be on the air here on Phone Booth Fighting, Tim Sylvia for the first edition of Frank Mir on the record. All right, the year was 2004, June 19th of 2004 to be exact, uh, when... <laughs> when you uh that voice on the other end of the line is uh the man that uh will uh be joining us to uh tell us what he remembers about uh june 19 2004 it's uh the maniac tim sylvia tim welcome to phone booth fighting thanks for coming on with us man how are you oh thanks for having me well, we're, we're, we're glad you came on. I tell you what, when, uh, when, when the lovely Mrs. Mir came up with this idea, I was like, okay, well, and I, I started thinking about the guys that, you know, we, we could track down and I, I, I was like, okay, well, Tim's is still a high profile guy, so we can find Tim. I'm looking at this list. Some of these guys, uh, may be a little harder to find, but, uh, but fortunately we got, we got you, uh, you on the line. So let me start, uh, with, with you, Tim, because what we're kind of looking to do is is maybe you know here's some stories behind uh behind the scenes i mean the the fight is legendary everybody saw it but you know things that led up to training camps and things like that that went on behind the scenes you of course a uh, a pat militich guy uh from back in the day that was a legendary camp to come out of so so you know just right off the bat before we get frank's thoughts i mean what what do you remember about way back then um i was going in there saying i'm going to smash this guy <laughs> he can't stand up with me. He has no choice. He can't take me down. And from some ungodly, stupid reason, he threw a lazy kick, and I caught it. Powered through it and took him down. Probably one of the dumbest moves that I've done in my career. <laughs> I just went to the ground right there. Pretty dumb. Frank? Yeah, I remember being a tough fight leading up to him at that point. I think only one guy he'd ever faced. He hadn't knocked out. He was undefeated. Um, so going in there, it was it was a tall order. Uh, he was at such length and such height. He knew how to strike so well. And uh, like he said, he was extremely hard to take down. So uh, on my side of the camp, the idea was to, you know, create chaos. You know, somehow as long as, you know, the fight keeps on going, that eventually would get to the ground. Were either one of your camps anticipating a short fight, or did you expect that the fight would go closer to the distance? So I'll ask you that question, Tim, first. What what was uh, what was the Militich crew uh, thinking in terms of how that would play out? Um, you know, I trained for a five-round fight, but to be honest, I was pretty confident that I was going to be able to knock Frank out. What about you, Frank? you remember what, uh, what your trainers were anticipating? I think um... – more along the lines of how, like, you just saw the Misha Tate when she fought uh, uh, Holly Holmes as far as a fight that would be just having to be tenacious and just keep going after him and take off, uh, take uh, advantage of any opportunities given. Um, and those might not occur early on, so we were thinking it was going to be, you know, if we were going to be victorious, it would be in the long stretch. Yeah. Now, he Tim had to have been your tallest opponent that you ever faced, right? I mean, certainly it had to have been, right? Certainly uh, up to that point. 
I can't think of anybody that would have been taller. Pretty tall. At yeah. that point, at that point, I was uh, Wes is a little bit taller than me. Yeah. He West after me. Okay, there you yeah. go. So up to that point, Tim was the tallest guy that you had faced. You're obviously preparing for unprecedented height. Tim, was there anything about about Frank as an opponent that you were uh, thinking, you know, uh, was was going to? Was, was there anything in your in your uh, your past fights that you thought might be comparable to Frank, or, or did you think he was going to be something uh, different than what you'd faced before? Um, I, I knew that at that point in my career that Frank was going to be the best guy I would face on the ground. Uh, but I obviously didn't think that's why he was going to go there. Um, and I was very confident in my take down the tent. Um, so I just really, really planned on going out there and stuffing the take downs and just keeping the fight standing up. So that was the only thing I was concerned about was going to the ground. Now, of course, everybody uh, remembers the the armbar. I mean, infamously, uh, Tim, because uh, uh, you know it. It uh, you got the the I guess the fracture would be the the actual term. But um, there there was a little bit of controversy with that, right, Frank, with the stoppage yeah. because at first, <laughs> yeah, I'll let you take well, it from here. Even before we go there, actually, yeah. something I always wanted to talk to Tim about. Okay, now as to people that are a victim of their own success, sometimes you do something. And you're successful at it, but not because, you know, it was the right thing or it could also come back to bite you later on. You've seen guys do it in stand-up. You know, they, they catch a guy, they throw a punch, they knock him out, and now they think that they're uh, uh, you know, Mike Tyson reincarnated yeah. and it ends up hurting them. In the fight before I fought uh, Tim, he actually fought Rico Rodriguez, who's also you know, a high-level jiu-jitsu guy. Mm -hmm. And uh, he was on the ground with him, and Enrico was able to put him in an arm bar. Uh, very reminiscent of the side type I did from the guard from the bottom. And Tim very easily got out of it and was able to slam him down and, and I think seconds later KO'd him on the ground. Mm -hmm. I've always wondered if that hadn't happened, Tim, I would have had a harder time holding him on the ground. I think actually having that success early on, I think made him more comfortable. Like when he says, I don't know why I did that. And I'm like, well, I can understand. I mean, you had a certain level of success there against high-level guys. Why would your brain, you know, deep down inside, think any differently? Interesting question, Tim. Did that, did that, uh, you being effective in that same manner against Rico Rodriguez enter your mind at all? Um, you know, I really can't remember. Um, I remember, um, I think two, uh, a couple of days later, you in that fight. Um, I think Frank was wearing a steel cup, and I think my forearm was in the perfect spot, and. I'm not mistaken. I'm pretty, I think Frank hooked my glove a little bit, which allowed me not to pull out. Um, I, I felt like when I picked him up and, and kind of dumped him on his head, he, I, I thought he kind of went a little limp on me. And then as soon as he landed, I went to do it again, and I felt the pressure. I'm like, man, that's really tight on my arm. But my elbow's out, so I'm safe. And the reason I thought that and I said that, I, I felt pop, pop, pop. And I was like, can we swear on the show? Yes, yes. Go ahead. Go okay, right ahead. Okay, so I said, this motherfucker just broke my arm. I'm going to kill him. <laughs> yeah, well, <laughs> as soon as it went pop, 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 and that went in my head, I picked him up, and then Herb jumped in. I heard Jared say, Herb say, holy shit, and he jumped in and stopped the fight. Wow, you heard Herb so, Dean say that. Yeah, I remember, I remember Dean saying that. Uh. And, you know, I, I, I knew he broke it. Um, I just wanted to keep going, like a knucklehead. Um, and I was hoping that 
they would have like, oh, okay, he made a mistake. It was a time over. I was hoping they were going to be I was hoping they were up to something. You know, I, I don't know, whatever. But obviously it didn't happen. You know, Frank, Frank, you know, everyone else should, you know, have people criticize Frank for, for doing, you know, he, he fucked up McGuire and stuff too. And I'm like, man, this is our job. Yeah. Um, you know, it, it, I, I don't think he did anything wrong. I, I think it's my job to tap. Uh, you know, he, and that has actually made some mistakes like that in, in competitions where I didn't really go for broke. You know, it's kind of fine saying that, but I mean, when I went against Jeff Nelson, I had him in a position where um, I had a trying when he went back, and I kind of applied a little bit of pressure on the app, and I didn't do it full force like I should have. I think I might have got the tap of it, but I think Frank does exactly what he's supposed to do. It's his job to stop the fight, grab the submission, and it's our job to tap. So, so you're saying, Tim, that that even after the the arm break, and maybe it's the adrenaline going or whatever, but at that moment, you were actually thinking, you, you know, maybe maybe they'll restart us, that, that that you could keep going at that point. You probably didn't. I was exactly. hoping they were going to, but I knew to myself that I only had about thirty to thirty seconds for a minute for it to, you know, for it to work and me land the big heavy punch, hopefully, but. You know, um, I was fighting with Pat Community. He said, What's going on? I'm on my fucking house. He's like, Is yeah. it? I go, Oh, yeah. Yeah. So when we, when we were walking out of the cage, Pat goes, Well, we can't really know, you know, really still think you're okay. So I raised my hand from my, my finger up and some fan gave me a high five in that arm. Oh, no. <laughs> and I'm like, Oh, <laughs> my God. It hurts so bad. <laughs> And we get back to the locker room, and these guys are trying to take my damn clothes off. I'm like, cut the fucking thing off and let's go to the hospital. <laughs> yeah, that was messed up. Wow, wow. Now, now, Frank, did you realize what, what go back to what Tim was talking about there uh, a second ago, when, when he said when he, you know, kind of, uh, you, you had the arm bar, you the triangle, you, you, uh, he picked you up and kind of slammed you. Do you remember like yeah. that, that was a heavy slam, maybe kind of loosening no, up for a second? It wasn't as bad because, um, kind of going back to Gi Jiu Jitsu, uh, I arched my head back. If you watch the fight, I tried to bring myself out as long as possible. Uh-huh. I, the way it was always related to me, it's like picking up a broom. Uh-huh. If you have it to where you're underneath of it leverage wise, it's easier to pick up. Yeah. But if all of a sudden I go to pick up a broom by the end of the handle and all of a sudden the handle extends out away from my body, leverage wise it becomes a lot heavier. So if you see in the fight, I immediately start to bridge away from him picking me up so that way Tim couldn't get me above his waist. Um, that's a, you know you've seen Quentin Jackson and other guys able to pick guys up and because they're looking into the hold they they kind of keep their body um, balled up mm-hmm. which is easy to pivot but once a guy elevates you the the best way to you know not get slammed down hard or even make it very difficult for him to pick you up in the first place is to leverage out and Tim's right the the arm I felt was starting to come out I didn't really have it that great but I was just holding on to it so that way when we went back down to the ground. I was going to try to transition to a, you know, a different side mm-hmm. uh, and flip it. But you can't really do that in the air because as he's lifting up, if I release the hold on my legs, I'm going to fall down and my opponent's going to be able to stand up very easily. So I try to hold on as tight as I can. So when he picks me up, it's a lot of leverage on their lower back and their thighs and their hamstrings trying to hold you up. Then you crash back down and usually drive forward even harder. And then you can re- you know, switch off to a plata or a triangle or, or a different maneuver. And uh, what happened was is when he was lifting me up and I was arching, I just felt popping sensation in the arm. 
Um, in my mind, I thought his elbow just had dislocated. I didn't really think that the forearm had broken. Yeah. It's not something I was ever familiar with. And so um, it was one of those situations where I was just holding on. I didn't know exactly what I had, but I knew I had something. So I just kept driving my hips forward. Now, Tim, uh, you know, when something like that happens, obviously you you rebounded from that uh, physically. You went on to have an incredible career after that. But um, is that the kind of thing, you know, we always talk about when somebody suffers a really serious injury like that, especially like a bone break, that it's something that can kind of stick in your head mentally. Is that the kind of thing that, you know, after uh, something like that happens, you, you find your play, you, you know, at some point maybe in a similar position with um, an arm bar, and it's, you know, it, it, triggers um, you? you know, it, uh, it stuck in my head for two fights. Um, my next fight, I fought five months after that in Hawaii. I fought West End. Yeah. And uh, knocked him out pretty good. <laughs> and and then the next fight was Andre Olofsky. Uh, Frankie got hurt on his motorcycle that he bought after he beat me. <laughs> and they, they, had a, they had a vacant belt available, so I was fighting for the belt again. And um, Olofsky talking and took our uh, heel hook and... Same thing, it popped and I can't tap. Um, I think I could get out of it. I think I, I you know, now that I think about it, if I do what I was supposed to do, just peel and climb up, he was in a real bad position. But as soon as he went after I felt my ankle pop and I just didn't tap. And uh, it just freaked me out because of my apparatus and I can't be out again for another five months. You know? Yeah. So I definitely, I can't tap on that one and, you know, that's the enemy at the end, but I was able to get vengeance uh, a year or so later. Yeah. Do you think there was anything about the, t- you know, because the time is so interesting. I mean, I, I you know, I say we, we're going back to 2004 here, and, uh, you know, the, the UFC is not doing 1.5 million pay-per-view buys or what have you uh, up to that point. Do you think the time has anything to do, and this is really a question for, for, for both of you guys. Frank, I'll let you start, where, you know, the the you're not, uh, there's not a pay-per-view every month. There's not a fight card every other week. There's, uh, you know, your months in between fights and, and, and uh, pay-per-views, and that's if you're the, the champion, and there's not as much money involved. Do you think that, you know, it's kind of like what Tim was talking about, you know, I can't be out another five months, you know, if he if he had to have some surgery on the ankle or something like that. You think there was a mindset back then because of the limited opportunities for fighting and less money and all that sort of thing that maybe uh, isn't so much present now because guys are more cautious? Yeah, I think guys pull out a lot easier now than they did in the past. Yeah. I think that uh, knowing that there's a fight every week, <laughs> you know, if you're assigned to the UFC banner, you know, you could uh, – pull out and, and, and reschedule a fight, you know, weeks later. Uh, back in 2004, you know, if Tim or I had pulled out, you know, uh, we're not fighting for months, you know, at best case scenario. What do you think about that, Tim? you agree with that? I totally agree, Frank. And plus the other thing is um, back then we didn't have insurance. So I, I actually answered this question yesterday on Facebook. Somebody said, I'm by a wife. Why did you let you guys were so much tougher back then? You know, I, I feel like we were a little tougher too because we're old school. We weren't, we weren't bred to be martial arts like you see, like a lot of these kids are nowadays. You know, we, the parents that were watching us were training their kids at four years old to be, to be what we did. But also the insurance reasons, you know, they have insurance now. In fact, they didn't have insurance. The only way you can recover from any injury was to fight and say it happened in the fight, kind of like a woman's talk to you. <laughs> yeah. And yeah. I know for a fact, every time I fought, 
I was hurt or injured, as soon as the fight was over, the doctors come back and they were like, you know, my elbow's sore, me, you know, my shoulder hurts, you know, this bad knee or whatever. You know, I'd give me the fight and I'd use you pay physical therapy and, you know, cast or, you know, whatever. I had, I had back surgeries and knee surgeries and elbow surgery, hand surgeries, all because, you know, they hurt before I went into the fight and then I just had to fire it together and it'd be fixed because of the fight. You know, I didn't want to spend, you know, that's when I fought Randy Couture, a perfect example, I had two blokes just going into the fight. Blew another one out during the fight. I had to fight because I needed the money, and I needed surgery. So I fought, and I did the surgery was like eighty thousand dollars. You know, I made a hundred thousand fight. So you know, I wasn't gonna turn my own pocket for that. Yeah. To to your uh, to your recollection, and this is uh, another uh, topic that always kind of fascinates me, Tim, is when um, you know because you guys never rematched, but uh, you know a lot yeah. of times a lot of times there are uh, fights that are almost made, or there was talk behind the scenes, but it never quite happened. Like we were just sitting here getting set up for the show, and I was asking Frank. I said, "Did he, was there ever a talk of you fighting Randy Couture?" And he said, "Yeah, yeah, a little bit of talk. You know, it never happened, and for whatever reason." But uh, what do you recall, Tim? I mean, was there uh, was there talk with your management or camp or the UFC or anything at that point about, did you ever even uh, we were, come close to fighting Frank? What I understand, we were supposed to fight a couple different times afterwards, but uh, both times we bolstered up. Uh, I think the first time I knocked out Kellerman and he lost to uh, some Brazilian or something, I'm not sure. And then the next time... Um, I lost to Madeira, and then he beat Brock Lesnar. From what I understand, if I had won, Frank and I was going to coach against each other on the Ultimate Fighter. Oh, do you remember that? Yeah. yeah. Do you, you I was do told that, too. Yeah? Yeah, and, then, and that, it was funny because after the fight in the locker room or, you know, in the hallways afterwards, Tim's walking by, and he just, <laughs> the only thing he said to me is, I'm sorry, man. Oh. You know, you know, I'm like, hey, I dropped the first time, you know. Like, yeah. <laughs> I can't get mad at you. Yeah. Well, it was funny because we were kind of, we were like, he was kind of making fun of me before I fought, before he fought. I think Pablo, is that who you fought, Frank? Is that who it was? Oh, when I first came back from the injury, it was at uh, Peter Pano, right? Yeah, Pablo. So it, it was kind of, you know, I had a friend who just really, he really, he was supposed to couple fights back. He wasn't really wasn't quite there, from my opinion, to what we seen before he had the injury and after he had the injury. But um, he just really wasn't quite there and he had a lot. And, well, before the fight had happened, I'm like, dude, you got a fucking tomato can. I'm like, what the hell? He's like, what are you talking about? He's a trade talent. The guy's like 40. <laughs> so, you know, we just had a, you know, he said, that's my ball, that's my new ball, started yeah. on fight, and then, you know, then it happened. I was like, oh, shit. Yeah. So, I was kind of, you know, that's something that's always haunted me. I kind of wanted that rematch, you know. And well, and especially, happened, especially now know, that, really uh, especially since you say that the ultimate fighter was on the line because something very important uh, in that, that time that had passed was the ultimate fighter had really become a thing, you know, and this fight, yeah. this fight between uh, you and, 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 and uh, Frank, Tim, you know, it's legendary, but in between the time that it happened and this time that you guys are talking about, there were a whole lot of new fans coming to the UFC. So it's a fight yeah. that I think a lot of people have had to kind of go back and learn about. And that would have sort of, sure. yeah, that would have sort of, uh, that's too well, bad. I mean, that almost the thing is too, I mean, let's be honest, the ultimate fighter would have been 10 times more interesting if Frank and I were coaching, because, you know, it's like arrogance. Uh, 
I'm Taxi. Um, we, you know, we still, we always recorded with one another stuff, but uh, we both had that kind of attitude, so I know we a lot of jazz actors back before, shit happened, and so on and so forth, and he sort of made a huge fight for the fight. Plus, I, I remember talking to Frank, I'm like, dude, I'm going to tell Dana what gift does he want for the show, because, I mean, I had it all planned out, Dave and I were going to coach each other, but, you know, the big thing was, the coach was always got two brand badass vehicles that get to the show, and I was like, I was going to tell that Frank and I both wanted Ford F650s all done up. Yeah, I remember like that night. I remember that Oh. And you, you said something about some kind. I'm like, dude, I'm going to tell Dave we want F650s. We're the heavyweight. They're like yeah. the biggest vehicle made. He's like, I'm cool with that. That's fine. Oh, okay. So you guys were going to go ahead and your idea, Tim, was the two of you go ahead and work out what kind of car you wanted yeah, before you coached on the show. Oh, that's uh, yeah, that's awesome. You know, it's funny, Tim. We were, you know, you talk about you know how the the Ultimate Fighter franchise uh, grew in popularity. Uh, a couple of weeks ago, we had Forrest Griffin over here on Frank's back porch, and and he was doing the show with us. And he was talking about how the first uh, season he won, he got a, a Scion, uh, and then uh, yeah, the, I know. Yeah, the second time he coached, he got a like a, what was it, a Range Rover? Or I mean, some really nice car. I can't well, remember what he said. That. Yeah, right. The fighters yeah. didn't really get nice vehicles. It was the coaches that did. So when yeah. he got the Scion. He wasn't the coach. Oh, that's right. Yeah, that's true. It yeah. was Randy. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, it was the right. It was uh, Randy Couture and um, and Chuck. Chuck Liddell. Yeah, that's yeah. right. Yeah, and they got Hummers. Yeah. So. yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, that that makes sense. Now, Dale, I I have always wanted to ask you because I remember one of the the great visuals uh, of of you back then as heavyweight champion was you wearing the heavyweight belt everywhere. I loved the fact that you uh, you did that. Um, was that something that you made a conscious decision? to do or is it something that you you just it, you know it happened more organically did you just end up putting it on I and never taking it off well I, the thing well it wasn't everywhere you know people yeah. really over exaggerated that but you know back in the day i used to go to i used to do a lot of like appearances and like local shows all the time and i would sell t-shirts you know i'd make like you know you know a couple grand at a small local show with people buying t-shirts but i always had to follow me Instead of leaving at the table, I would put it on. Just curious, so I didn't want to just swipe it. Uh, you know, after the first time I won it, I wore it all through Atlantic City and Etobah and stuff like that. So you know, I wore it to the airport and I stayed. You know, you know the title is what the like, told the history in the world that's won it. So that was a pretty big deal. Yeah. You know, uh, one of the, the, the first times as I was, as I was really becoming, uh, conscientious about UFC and beginning to cover the sport and all that sort of thing, one of the, uh, the first, uh, cards that I, that I really paid attention to was, uh, UFC 65. That was a card where, uh, Tim fought Jeff Monson, uh, defended the title. You were on that undercard too. That was the Brandon Verify, the Sacramento card. And, um, you know, all these years later, having gotten to know, uh, Jeff Monson, and particularly all his uh, 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 political peculiarities, and and watching him and your coach Pat Militic spar on Twitter, I always think back to that fight card, uh, Tim. Even back then, did Pat? Because Pat's such an opinionated guy. Do you remember? I mean, was he already gunning for for Jeff Monson and their political differences? Oh God, yeah. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> you can kill this Tommy fucker. <laughs> Fuck this guy. <laughs> oh yeah. <laughs> Oh, that is uh, that's very uh, very uh, 
sensitive when it comes to politics. Yes, yes, he is. That is awesome. Well, Tim, listen, man. Um, I, I, we Frank and I both appreciate you coming on, Absolutely. and this was this was yeah, fun. Time, man. Yeah, this was a lot of fun because this was exactly what I was hoping we were going to get out of it. That everybody knows the fight, but that there were some stories that didn't get told behind the scenes and all that kind of stuff. So, uh, chalk one. I used for- to. Well, I don't know. I don't. I don't know if it's Frank either, but like whenever I saw his sister, I'd always hear her. But another funny story for her. The what was? No, I didn't. Yeah. <laughs> whenever I saw Frank's sister, I always hear on her. When he sees oh, your he sees sister. My sister. Ah. The boat sailed. He's married with like three kids now. <laughs> oh, really? Really? I've never, I've never seen Frank's sister. Does she look anything like Frank? Because yeah, I disturbingly so. Okay, now I'm imagining. God, yeah. Thank God, no. Oh, okay. I was saying, I'm imagining Frank in a dress. That's not doing a lot for me just yet. So uh, maybe if no. I saw her, it would, uh, yeah, make a difference. Very nice. Well, well, uh, t- Tim's got a family of his own now. In fact, uh, I understand your, uh, your, your, your son just graduated. Was it preschool or kindergarten or something last night? Yeah, he just. He just graduated preschool. Oh, that's great. Well, don't let him stop there. Tell him to continue the education. No, no, that's... We'll, we'll, let him, we'll let him keep going. He's okay. already started wrestling, so he enjoys oh, that. So. Oh, awesome. I'll bet that's going to be a sight to see. Uh, you can follow uh, Tim Sylvia on Twitter, at Tim Sylvia MMA. And, uh, Tim, really, uh, Frank and I both really appreciate you coming on. If you ever want to come on again sometime with us, let's let's do it. I'll bet we can come up with another old story or two that would yeah. be fun to talk about. Yeah, just let me know, man. You guys got my number, and try and get me up on Twitter and stuff, so no problem. All right, cool, man. Hey, it's great talking to you, and we'll, we'll talk to you again soon. All right, man. All right. All right, later. See you. So that was Tim Sylvia joining us, uh, the first of, uh, well, I guess hopefully many, Frank. Uh, what'd you think? First installment of Frank Muir on the record. I like some of, the, I like some of those uh, behind-the-scenes stories. I didn't know a bunch of that stuff. Yeah, some stuff I hadn't remembered. Yeah, and the, the idea of the segment would be that, uh, you know, we'd be able to, to everybody's going to remember the fight itself, but that we'd be able to talk about uh, some of the uh, some of the behind the scenes goings on, some of the things that almost happened, but uh, you know maybe didn't for whatever reason, like uh, uh, the fact that um, you guys almost coached against each other on the Ultimate Fighter and things like that. All right, well that is uh, one down and twenty seven to twenty six to go. How many rematches have you had? Brock Lesnar, Wes Sims. Noguera. Noguera. Okay, so 20, 20, you've had 29 fights. So I'm going to subtract three from that. I'm trying to figure out how many more opponents we have, how many more humans we have to track down. So, so that's five more. Yeah, 20, yeah, 25. That's right. Okay. So one down, 25 to go. And, uh, for the time being, I don't think it's going to be too difficult to, uh, pick off some of the, top guys but uh there 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 may be a point where i'm doing some deep background research to find some guys i don't doubt that but i'm obsessed with it i i'm I'm big on complete collections so i want us to make sure uh want us to make sure that we uh we do that do you want to hear some uh some fun audio i was on the uh i was on a conference call today with uh the ufc 199 main participants uh luke rockholt and michael bisping of course are main eventing the uh, fight coming up in uh Los Angeles UFC 199 on uh, June 4th. And the co-main event is uh, Uriah Faber and uh, and Dominic Cruz in the third fight of their trilogy. And so I posed a question to them both basically about their activity in the last um, 
I think it's been about uh, I think it's been about six years since they fought. Or no, no, uh, it was two thousand. 2000, uh, what was it, 2011, the last time they fought? I have to look this up. Uh, but, but basically posed a question about their, their, their activity since the last time they fought. Dominic's only fought a couple of times because of the injuries, and Uriah's been far uh, busier. You'll hear me pose the question to both of them. They start yelling, and it literally overheated my phone and disconnected the call. Check this out. <laughs> Question for Dominic Cruz. Dominic, uh, since your second fight with Uriah Faber in 2011, he's had 11 fights and, and you've had three. Despite the, the injury setbacks that you've dealt with, is there an upside to this in terms of the fact that maybe you're, you're fresher than you would have been had you been keeping up a, a, a busier schedule over the subsequent years, do you think? I mean, really, it doesn't, it doesn't really matter about how many fights I've had because I've had good fights and I've fought the best guys in the division every time I've fought. So I know what I am. I know what I'm capable of. I know how I mix things up. I know the things that I'm good at, and I know I'm better than him. So it doesn't matter how many fights he's had because the ones that could have gotten him a title, he lost, or anybody in the top five, he lost, or anybody in the top three, he lost, and I'm, in the, top, I'm the champion. I'm the best in this division, and I always will be, and he's not going to be able to compete with me. I'm going to put a clinic on him just like I did last time. And a question for Uriah Faber. In those five years that have followed since your last fight, you've obviously had a, a busier schedule. Do you think there's anything in particular that comes to mind that you learned from fighting other people in those five years that uh, you, you feel like is something you would have liked to have uh, uh, had with you in that fight in 2011 and uh, you know that will benefit you going into this third fight? Well, I mean, Cruz keeps talking about the competition that he's faced and how high level it is. I fought with TJ for six years every day. It's not like not when it mattered. They have to face Mizagaki. I fought. You ran from you ran from TJ when it mattered. You ran from him. You left the division because you were scared. Demetrius Johnson is a 125 fighter. I fought. Some of the guys that I fought that he hasn't faced: Ivan Menjivar, Yuri Alcantara. Michael McDonald, Alex Caceres, Francisco Rivera, Frankie Edgar, Frankie Science, uh, Eddie Wineland, uh, Rafael Sinsel. These are guys that I've fought. So and how were they ranked? Top competition. I mean, I beat those guys. You know, Frank Frankie Edgar was a was a, a five round fight. Back. Same so, back. so here's here's the question: has, has Dominic changed much? I don't think he's changed much. He looks good still. He hasn't skipped a beat. I don't think he's uh, leaps and bounds above what he is. I feel like I've put a lot into my game. I feel like uh, I'm excited for this fight, man. I've been excited for a fight like this a long time, and I always try to get myself up for fights. But you know, when you're the when you're the bigger name in, in most in most competitions, um, and it's always you the, you know, you're the you favorite. You're the bigger name. That's the reason I don't like seven. It's an interesting. It's an interesting. It's an interesting psyche to get up for. When you've got Dominic Cruz, who's been getting on your nerves for 10 years, uh, a guy that you feel like you could have very easily got the nod for the last fight time we fought, a guy that's very elusive and hard to hit, but I didn't have any trouble hitting him, I get excited for that. Oh, my gosh. No trouble hitting me, man. You missed so much. And I'm going to make you miss again. Dude, I I hit you. I did damage. When you hit me, I mean, we saw your highlight video you put on your Instagram. That was your highlight video, dude. It was like a couple of, like, 
dabs my hair moving. That was it. You got one punch hit quitters. That's it. One punch hit quitters. The fact is, you didn't really good. The face one. Really? Go. Hey, <laughs> you're the analyst. Go back and watch my fights, bro. Go watch. Go watch. Go watch my. Come on, fights. man. You don't throw combinations. You don't mix things up. The one punch at a time. The one kick at a time. You go for a guillotine. You're an overhand right. You lead with the left hook. I could go all day breaking your fight down. I've been doing it for years. Retired, basically, while you were saying that you were competing against the best. And then I came, ba- came back and faced the guy that you ran from to go up a weight fight. You were scared to see Joe <laughs> Shaw. That's why you didn't no, fight for the belt. Why wouldn't you fight oh, for the belt? Yeah. Why? Why it's wouldn't you fight for the belt? unbelievable how sported your reality is. I, I'm glad to see you guys are best friends now. That's I'm, I'm common. like you guys, that guy. Yeah, I'm you guys need to start a reality the show together. The point is you're you trying to push it up. Hey. But why wouldn't you fight hey. CJ for the belt? If you face uh, him already, why not face him? Because you were scared yeah, of him. Face, you were scared I'm of losing every, to the guy that you brought up in the sport. That's tell me. I want you to, I want you to think about what you're saying, bro. 41, 41 fights in the game. I fought Jose Aldo. I fought Frank Yeager. I fought what? everyone under you did, the You front. didn't train next to him every day. Anyone you think I'm scared of you? You can't even you finish one guy in your whole I'm not talking about me. I'm asking why you didn't face the guy with the belt while I was out. He was on my, guy team, my, my, my main training partner every day. That's a bunch of crap, man. Now you're it talking was, about how you hate it. You try to interpret my life and my friendships and, like, dude, mind your own business. Friendship? That's how you treat your friends? Look. And it was at that point that my iPhone literally overheated, shut down, disconnected the call, and told me that I needed to let the phone cool down before I could use it again. Hey. Those two don't like each other. <laughs> no, not at all. It is. I tell you what, you know, Dominic Cruz, and I, I, I think Uri Faber is a, a good talker too. I think he, he gives a, a fine uh, accounting of himself. But, but Dominic Cruz, and I really came to – appreciate it uh in that uh that face-to-face thing he did with tj dillashaw back before uh their fight where i mean he's just he's a verbal assassin and he's just so calm and calculated about it i mean he's never speaking above just that that you know constant tone but boy he is uh he is sharp yeah the the quality of what he's saying definitely uh is is menacing he yeah. goes out there and like he said i've had discussions with him in the past um it's not that other guys aren't capable of doing that they're not willing to yeah you know he goes out there and he puts on that kind of uh a show with tj where they line up and he just basically bashes them to, to pieces he knows he still has to walk in the octagon with him and i think that's why a lot of fighters you know it's easier most of the time on your ego to take the humbler road leading up to the fight and it takes bravado to not only call out your opponent and be that way but then also, you know, you have to have the seals to back it up, and that makes a rare combination. Yeah, yeah, it's uh, it was really something, and it really, you know, in a in a, a as much as uh, as Michael Bisbing and Luke Rockholt were jawing at each other because they were on uh, other other parts of that call, and I would have gotten to them had uh, had the phone not overheated and disconnected. But it's going to be hard to tell. Uh, what's got more verbal hype going into it uh, next weekend, whether it is uh, the main or the co-main. And I think as much as uh, Bisbing and, and Rockholt are, are trying to, to, to push their, uh, their feud, I think maybe it's just the fact that the feud is more recent. I, I think the real heat is between uh, uh, Faber and Cruz for that night. Well, absolutely. Anything, 
you know, that goes back in history. You can pull up time, you know, different tidbits of, of, of dialogue between the two of them going back and forth and their yeah. teams, and and it's gone on for a long time. You know, yeah. I remember uh, when Dominic first fought um, Uriah for the uh, championship in the WEC. And uh, I still think it's Dominic's only loss. Mm-hmm. But when he showed up, he had that type of mentality of just getting in someone's face right off the bat. I remember I, I sat down at the booth, uh, and um, uh, Todd Harris, the, the, yeah. the guy. This is when you were doing color on right. WEC. Yeah, he's like, "Man, did you hear what happened?" I'm like, "No, what's going on?" He goes, uh, "The new guy, you know, Dominic. And he came in, and he not only we, people don't know know, know this, but." When we go to fights, everybody on the card signs a uh, poster. They have mm-hmm. about 100 to 150 of them, depending on the fight. And you'll have to sign your signature on each one of them if you're on the cards. So you sit back there, usually two or three guys at a time. During the time you're checking in, you're getting all your information, your per diem, you know, different, you know, where you have to be tomorrow, your scheduling, whatnot. And uh, <laughs> when Dominic did his signature, he signed it on Uriah Faber's face. Yeah, he was doing it because, as I recall, of course, nobody knew who Dominic was at the time, and the WEC was brand new, but they had put Faber's face on the poster and just Cruz's name, as I recall. There was no actual image of Cruz, and so he was signing uh, over Faber's face as a— yeah. Yeah. As a, a, a get back, I guess, but yeah, that was the first thing that rubbed yeah, your eye uh, favor the wrong way. Right off the bat, he came out of the gates hard, and uh, even after you know losing, came back and uh, established career he has now, uh, redeeming that loss, beating uh, Uriah in their their next uh, match, and now they're going at it for the next time. Well, uh, I'm looking forward to this one at uh, UFC 199, even with the uh, the late replacement situation with uh, with Michael Bisping stepping in for. Uh, Chris Weidman, who's who's injured, I was really looking forward to seeing that rematch. But I think uh, Cruz and Faber is a very compelling fight, and then uh, uh, the Bisbing Rockhold rematch uh, as well. And we're going to be out there in LA uh, with a couple of days before the fights. We're going out there to do some other media, much like uh, we we did uh, oh, six weeks or so ago when we were out in LA doing uh, Fighter and the Kid podcast. Joey Diaz. We're going to be doing some other media, and we're going to be taking taping some episodes of Phone Booth Fighting out there with some special guests that we'll tell you about here uh, uh, probably on next week's episode. But we're going to be back in L.A., and given the fact that L.A. is one of our biggest U.S. markets, Frank, uh, for any of our L.A. listeners, I had already heard from a couple of people that are asking if we're going to be out anywhere publicly, and I said, uh, you know, I'm not sure. We'll, we'll, we'll probably work something out. If anybody has any ideas of a place they would like to see us, maybe we could uh, try to do some type of live segment taping or something like that, uh, let us know on the phone book fighting uh, Facebook page if you're from L.A., uh, maybe some uh, particular cool places or something that you might uh, think would make for a good broadcast. Let us know uh, out there, and uh, we'll be sure to check it out. The other thing that you can do uh, on the Phone Booth Fighting Facebook page is post your questions, comments, thoughts, and observations. It's a great way for us to see them and then share them on the air, and I thought we would uh, do a few of these now, Frank. Uh, first of all, this message from Matthias Dominguez, uh, Frank. He says, uh, I'm a huge Frank Mir fan, but today I just happened to become a fan of Richard as well. Hey, that's me. After seeing him in the Champions documentary on Netflix, 
Uh, it shows what a great person he is. Oh, thanks, man. I appreciate that. That's the uh, new documentary about my dog, Mel. It's really about Mel. It's not about me. But uh, yeah, if you get a chance to check that out on Netflix, a whole bunch of our listeners, Frank, are telling me that they're seeing it uh, now that it's on Netflix. Yeah, it's I only in the, saw it uh, because of you. Yeah. I haven't heard about it before you, so. Yeah. It's in the new release section on Netflix. It's called The Champions. It's uh, a documentary about my dog, Mel, who was rescued from uh, Michael Vick's dogfighting operation and uh, some of the other dogs that were rescued as well and the happy homes that they are now living in. So uh, anyway, we're real proud of it. So so check that out and uh, let us know what you think. Uh, also, this one, Frank, from Mal Evans. He says, hi, guys. Just thought I'd let you know you've got a regular listener here from Edinburgh, Scotland. The podcast is really good. I got into it from Fighter and the Kid and Church of What's Happening Now. Question for the show. We've had one UFC event here in Scotland, and although it was a great event, it failed to attract the big names apart from Bisbee. If they plan another event here and Frank gets the USADA stuff sorted out, which is a load of shite, by the way. Shite. I believe that's a... a, a foreign term for uh you yeah know. sounds better than ours yeah it does it, it sounds more refined <laughs> it does. doesn't it yeah it sounds like uh, something you can really get away with saying and not offending as many people uh the question is would he consider flying across the pond to fight we only serve good scottish beef here uh guys keep up the good work and i've already told a lot of my mma buddies about the show that is from mal evans in edinburgh thank you mal we appreciate you spreading the word and telling people about phone booth fighting that's how we're going to grow the show what do you think uh, frank a, a fight in scotland How's That'd that grab cool. you? Uh, I never fought there before. Obviously, uh, I've been to England and then uh, you know Brazil and Australia and Canada, and so fighting uh, overseas in Europe, you know, any of the places seems uh, it's you know obviously an opportunity that you know it's, it's a vacation, take the kids and the family, and usually mm -hmm. I always uh, <clears throat> stay a week after the fights. So definitely uh, works out, and I would like to take advantage of that. You can uh, post your questions for Facebook feedback on the Phone Booth Fighting Facebook page. Facebook.com forward slash phone booth fighting, and uh, we'll be happy to read some of those on the air. Hopefully, you're following us on Snapchat too. Our Snapchat username is phone booth fight. And, uh, you know, we've been asking listeners, Frank, to snap us pictures of what they're doing while they're listening to phone booth fighting. And uh, I still think that's a scary thing you did. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, this, uh, this guy right here, uh, Flash Flanagan on. Uh, uh, on Snapchat, snapped us this picture, and I'll show it to you. I think you saw this. It, it was on your Instagram, just listening to Phone Booth Fighting. But he's got some earbuds in. I didn't realize exactly what was going on there, okay? But he, uh, he, oh, yeah, he, yeah, he posted a comment on the Instagram page uh, <laughs> at the Frank Mirror that he was actually listening to Phone Booth Fighting while he's doing dialysis. So he was like, yeah, it made me feel better, made me smile. So uh, uh, best of luck to you on that, yeah. man. And uh, uh, we, uh, I'm kind of flattered that he decided to take us uh, with him to deal with that because I'd be nervous. You know, I'd be like I'd be needing to listen to something that calmed me down. 
Yeah, that's a rough time. So anything is very uh, honoring, uh, yeah, flattering that if we can bring you through that. It really is. There is another guy who posted his picture. Uh, he was waiting to go into surgery to have his gallbladder removed, and he was listening to us. So maybe we have a more calming effect than I realize. That's you know, a like your voice of yours. Yeah, maybe that's it. I get <laughs> I get all like hyped up for this every week, but uh, we're hearing from more and more people who are using it as a as a therapeutic uh, resource. So that's fine. We'll We'll, uh, we'll take that as well. well. Anyway, keep snapping us those pictures, what you're doing while you're listening to uh, to Phone Booth Fighting. Our Snapchat username is Phone Booth Fight. We're also on Twitter at Phone Booth Fight. And uh, this question, Frank, uh, this week from Mana Rankin. Mana asked us, if you guys had the time, would you guys do more than one podcast a week? Hashtag, you guys are that damn good. So there's a guy who wants to hear this more than once a week. What do you think? I think as uh, you know, we're able to work out the sponsors and, and get yep. more equipment and, and actually improve the quality of the show, then, yeah, picking up. I mean, you and I have conversations off air. I mean... If we just turn the mic on and half of them, we'd have material. We got more content than yeah. we're able to present on a weekly basis yeah. just doing it How once a week. We, we talk for an hour after the show. Right, know? right. No, that's true. So the the short answer to that question is yes, Mana. Uh, we, we could certainly do that. Now, that kind of brings me to uh, a, a topic, a conversation that I wanted to just preliminarily bring up on phone booth fighting this week. And that's how we're going to grow the show. Because Frank just mentioned it. Yeah, you know, the idea of us doing this twice a week, no problem. We both love to do it. We we, we, we do a whole nother show uh, just talking to each other at least once a week that people probably never even get to hear because the mics aren't rolling. But uh, with the success of the podcast, and we appreciate all you guys for helping us to grow this thing and and really getting it, uh, elevating its uh, its visibility, uh, you know, that from what we've seen from the past few weeks uh, in a big way, we now we've got certain challenges. People are asking for uh, they want a video component, which we certainly want to provide. Uh, you know, can we improve audio? Can we uh, can we improve the quality of uh, phone guests? Things like that. Uh, yes, more road trips. People want that. They want to know when can we hit the road? When can we go to their town and do live broadcasts? We want to do that. People are asking for merchandise. They want a phone booth fighting hats and T-shirts and things like that. Those are going to be on the way. So uh, obviously, uh, we're going to have to step up the game in a big way and uh, do a lot of those things in a pretty short order. So, you know, we had Adam Carolla on the show last week, Frank, and another reminder that Frank will be on stage with Adam Carolla. If you're in Las Vegas for International Fight Week, he will be on stage with Adam uh, Friday, July 8th at Treasure Island. That's the night before UFC 200, Treasure Island Casino here in Las Vegas. Frank Mir on stage for a live taping of the Adam Carolla show. I'll be out there as well. Uh, cheering you on from the wings. But, um, you know, when we had Adam on the show last week, if you heard it, one of the things we talked to him about was his Fund Anything campaign, the way that he made uh, his movie Road Hard. And his listeners, and of course he's at the top of the podcast game, uh, raised about $1.4 million for him to make a movie. Um, the good news is we don't have to have that much money uh, to put on, a, to enhance the quality of our podcast. But we 
are kicking around this idea just preliminarily of what would happen if we did like a fund anything type campaign to uh, in in one fell swoop really elevate the level of uh, the podcast in terms of, of equipment and uh, and uh, you know budget and things like that maybe being able to go to twice a week all that kind of thing so. Um, what we're looking for on the Phone Booth Fighting Facebook page, uh, Frank, are some ideas, if we were to do it, of the kind of perks that people would like to see. If you're not familiar with uh, a, a Fund Anything campaign, what it involves is, uh, you know, you can, you, you'll be able to go to, uh, to a special designated Phone Booth Fighting page on their website once we create it. And get anything from maybe a special hat or T-shirt or a poster or something that, you know, says you're one of our podcast backers. Uh, that might be like at the, you know, the entry level of, uh, of, of backing all the way up to certain one-of-a-kind type of incentives. Now, the ones that, just as we've been brainstorming this idea that we've thought of right off the top of our head, uh, you know, sit in on the podcast with us. Uh, yeah, do that. Uh, maybe, uh, we do a dinner for two with somebody before a show one night, you know, you and I, and we'll, we'll go, uh, eat with somebody and a guest, something like that. There, there's a couple of things like that that are kind of obvious ones, but if anybody has any <laughs> ideas of something, they're not, uh, thinking of and you know i mean short of you know frank you know uh, banging your wife while he's wearing the championship belt we're not we're not there we're not that desperate yet uh although check in with us this time next year we'll see i could be the bull (laughs) no i in fact i think uh like fund anything i think fundanything.com has like standards i don't think we could actually auction that even if i think we'd have to go out to the love ranch i wouldn't be able to jiggle up myself out pull that auction off but if you guys have some ideas like that and of course we're going to take the show on the road you know we're going to be in la uh we can you know there's certain drive up markets from vegas that we could do so there's certain things we could do in person and on site when we're in places like uh uh los angeles it wouldn't just have to be las vegas but uh you know i don't know a little intimate cocktail party type get together maybe here in vegas maybe in la things tell us we want you guys to tell us the kinds of things you would be interested in in doing with us if we made them available to you via a fund anything campaign and we're not we're not for sure that we're doing this we're just kind of kicking around uh ideas but but you mentioned it frank i mean um you know sponsors are a big part of a successful podcast and you can uh you know Go to bball.com. You can uh, uh, drink real water. Uh, you, you can support our sponsors that way, and I'm sure we're going to see more sponsors coming on as the podcast grows. But in the meantime, uh, we're thinking this may be a, a, a fun and particularly interactive way for our listeners to, uh, to, to get involved more hands-on with the podcast and then get something for it uh, in return. So I promised uh, Frank a little uh, a little tale from the brothel. I figured you're bringing a story. Uh, we're, we're getting Tim Sylvia on. I, I better bring. Uh, we're sharing work stories here. Yeah, I, br- I better talk a little shop here. Uh, so, you know, we've talked on the show about. Uh, of course, everybody knows about the Lamar Odom incident and the the near death that that almost resulted in. Let me tell you about an actual death. Really? Yeah. 
<laughs> so my interest. Yeah. So uh, this goes back a couple of years, and uh, uh, the guy that owns the the brothel that I work at, uh, Dennis Hoff, uh, had gone to New York to be on the Howard Stern show. He's been on Howard Stern a number of times. And they were doing a contest called Get Your Grandpa Laid. Okay. Now, the way the contest worked was Howard Stern's listeners uh, submitted uh, grandpas, their grandpas, uh, with stories of why they should win an all-expenses-paid trip to the Bunny Ranch. And when I say all-expenses, I do mean all-expenses, right? Does that count the Viagra? Everything. Everything. <laughs> it's amazing modern medicine, what Absolutely. old guys are able to do nowadays. <laughs> so the top three finalists come on the show. And they were, you know, I think every one of them was in their 80s. And uh, uh, one guy... All of them, the grandma's no longer in the picture, I'm taking it. As I recall, yes, that's right. And and such was the case with our winner, Grandpa Johnny. Grandpa Johnny was brought on by his grandson, and uh, his, you know, his wife had passed some, you know, 20 years prior or something like that. So he was, uh, he was a, uh, a widower. And so he comes on, and and each grandpa-grandson tandem, I can't remember if any granddaughters brought their grandpas on. They might have. But they basically pled their case to Howard and Dennis and a couple of the hookers that Dennis had brought with them, and they picked a winner. So Grandpa Johnny's the winner. All right, so he becomes quite smitten with one of the ladies who made the trip to the Howard Stern studio. So he already knew which girl he wanted to uh, saddle up with, Spend some time yeah, with. By the time he got uh, he got out to the bunny ranch, so finally, did, have, did he go through any kind of uh, physical fitness test? Like, did the doctor clear this? Probably should have, and I'm about <laughs> to explain why. Uh, you know, the the big day comes. I can't remember how much time had passed uh, since they were on the show. Maybe you know, a few weeks to a month. They get the airline uh, booked, and and uh, out comes Grandpa Johnny and his grandson. And I was actually up there, up by uh, Reno at the Bunny Ranch, when this happened a couple of years ago. And I remember the guy coming in. It was a it was a Thursday afternoon. And he, boy, he came in just, you know, dancing a jig, spry and full of life, like looking like he had discovered the fountain of youth, you know. And uh, it's, a, it's a Thursday afternoon. And he was already, his, uh, his uh, uh, lady of choice was uh, a woman named Caressa Kisses. And he, not her real name, by the way. And he had said, uh, where's Caressa? <laughs> you know, he's like, I'm ready to go. And uh, his grandson said, oh, you know what, Grandpa Johnny? Uh, we should uh, uh, we should go out and have a nice dinner at one of the Lake Tahoe casinos, you know, before your big, your big night. Because uh, Lake Tahoe is just about a 20-minute drive from the Reno area. Well, I don't know if I'm already agreeing with the grandson. I mean, the guy's out there. He's already ready to go. I know. Let's go eat dinner afterwards. That's what I'm saying. I mean, uh, at that point. That's a big meal before they go, you know. Well, at that point, too, I mean, you're on the clock. You know, you can't just be taking it for granted that you, you're going to have all the time in the world to get around to things whenever. And let me tell you, Grandpa John learned that the hard way because what happened was he agreed they go out that night they go to a casino in uh lake tahoe they go to a you know they got a five-star steakhouse or whatever up there they go up there grandpa johnny orders a steak dinner comes he takes one bite of the steak chokes and dies right there at the table drops dead choking yeah choked on the steak they tried to give him the heimlich didn't work dropped dead right there at the table shut up yeah so they load him in the ambulance. Well, let me 
before I tell you that part, so fast forward real quick to the next morning. Hold on. He yeah. didn't already take whatever pill he needed to take, did he? Because <laughs> <laughs> loading him into the back of the ambulance, I'm having a really horrible visual right when now. They put the sheet over him. There's just like a, a tent <laughs> pitched. <laughs> Good question. So the next morning, now this is about 6 a.m., my phone starts going off, right? And I, you know, I'm reaching over the nightstand, grabbing my phone. I look at it. I got a text from Dennis. And he's saying, you know, OMG, you know, Grandpa Johnny died last night, choked at dinner and, and, and died. And, and I'm just about to text back like, oh, this is horrible. You know, what? that's terrible. Is the what family okay? Dennis, this is not horrible. Yeah. And the very next text came in was, you know, get up here quick. We got to figure out the, you know, somebody's got to write the press release. <laughs> so... So uh, I got up there. Well, let me tell you, I was feeling a tad guilty about it until, until I found out that as they were loading Grandpa Johnny onto the uh, ambulance where he was, you know, going to be pronounced DOA, the grandson reached into Grandpa Johnny's coat pocket and pulled out the voucher for the free hooker and went to the Bunny Ranch that night and redeemed the coupon himself No, as a tribute, claiming that Grandpa Johnny would have wanted it that way. Did he pick the same girl? No. No, honestly. See, I guess he, the, if you're going to yeah. go ahead and go dirtbag. Yeah. <laughs> you know me. <laughs> All in, man. <laughs> yeah. If yeah. you're going to have a horrible story... <laughs> I'm going to make it one for the record books. <laughs> you know what I mean? like, yeah. You're already like, you know, most people are going to sit there and go, damn, dude, your grandpa just passed away. Yeah. Like, you know, going, getting some free pussy. That was really what was the first thing on your mind. Yeah. For some reason he didn't, maybe they And if you're going to do it, be yeah. like, and I even went and picked the girl he wanted. Right. Like, I mean, you just have to, you know, the coup de grace, you got to finish it off. I, you know what? I never thought about that part of the story up until now. I don't know if he just had different tastes than grandpa Johnny, uh, or if she was off shift. But if he's doing it for uncle Johnny or yeah. grandpa or, Johnny. Frank, maybe he just thought that would be crossing a line. <laughs> Maybe he thought that's the point where it goes too far. <laughs> that's where you do the line in the sand? I mean, he wanted to keep it tasteful, you know. <laughs> From the get-go, wow. that was uh, a foregone conclusion. So that's just a little brothel story I brought you. Hey, let's take a look at uh, what's going on with the fights uh, this weekend. I'm going to this card Sunday night at uh, uh, here in Las Vegas at... Uh, we at Mandalay Bay or MGM Grand this weekend? I guess I better figure that out. Oh, yes, Mandalay Bay. Uh, you know, typically uh, the Memorial Day card has always been a big pay-per-view uh, here in Vegas. Uh, Saturday nights, of course, and for whatever reason, the schedule's a little jumbled up this year, maybe with uh, all the anticipation of UFC 200 coming up in July. So what we're getting is a fight night card. It'll be televised on Fox Sports 1 Sunday night, and it's, it's, it's a rare Sunday night attraction here in Las Vegas. This really hasn't happened too often for the UFC. It's being headlined by by the undefeated Thomas Almeida taking on the undefeated Cody Garbrandt in a five-round Bantamweight attraction, a matchup of top contenders. And uh, I'm pretty excited for this uh, fight, Frank. Uh, both of these guys are, are young prospects, undefeated, as I said, but Thomas Almeida with uh, 
damn near three times the amount of experience that the uh, Team Alpha Male product Cody Garbrandt has. But uh, man, these guys uh, these guys bring the uh, bring the fireworks, and uh, Almeida in particular is uh, is an astounding uh, finisher. Thirteen wins by KO, four by submission. He has finished all but one of his wins. Uh, 14 first-round finishes and 11 of his last 12 wins coming by KO. Uh, Garbrandt, for his part, five wins by KO, four of those in the first round. He has never gone the distance, and he was 32-1 and as an amateur boxer. So this fight has fireworks written uh, all over it. Even if you don't know the names and more casual fans may not know the names, they look at stats like that. And uh, uh, for a fight night card, there's a good chance they're going to see some fireworks in the main event. Absolutely. Uh, I definitely, whoever uh, comes through this one is, is going to be pushing into the uh, higher ranks of the uh, the division. And really, I mean, title fight can't be too far away from either one of these guys, even in such a stacked division that they're in. What do you think about when guys like this are matched up? Uh, I, I heard our uh, friends over on MMA Latest talking about this this week. Uh, that you know sometimes, and they weren't describing it this way. They were saying they were referencing someone else who was, but they talk about it as a. Uh, I think uh, uh, like uh, the phrase was like a pro, uh, a prospect killer fight. You know where you got two top-ranked prospects somebody's O has to go so to speak and and you know it it's kind of tough because ultimately you're going to see one guy fall a bit but I this see this is what I like about mixed martial arts and the UFC in particular over boxing let's say because how many times in boxing do we see a guy that by the first time we're really getting to know his name he's got an 18 and 0 record oh my gosh this guy's undefeated but what you don't realize is a good portion of those fights, maybe right up until the last few fights uh, before this one, have have been uh, made with the intention of padding that record. You know. Yeah, and another thing too is in our our sport, the MMA, um, being undefeated really isn't as much of a a thing anymore. Mm -mm. It's it's difficult. I mean, it's great the guys are able to pull that off. Mm -hmm. But uh, for the most part, you know, guys are, you know, battling it out and, and, and growing and developing and they face each other two or three times. And, you know, in a matchup like this, if one guy loses, you know, it, it only puts them back one step. He yeah. goes and fights and, and, and strings together victories. They're back in the, to, in the mix of it and they can grow as a fighter, you know. So really, honestly, you know, seeing these two guys fight there, it's not the same as boxing where before if a guy had a, a blemish on his record, the chance of him getting a title shot was far and, uh, you know, and foregone conclusion that it wasn't going to happen. That's why they padded guys' records and, and kept around because I think even the fan base is more like, well, you know, how can the champ have already lost? You know, you mm -hmm. have to be undefeated when you fight for the title. And uh, in our sport, you know, because such guys, you know, there's such a, you know, are all piled together in the same, uh, you know, organization, the UFC, the guys are trading back victories and losses back and forth that are extremely high caliber. Um, boxing figured out a way to remedy that solution, you know, remedy that uh, problem by creating all these different sanctions and belts so you have guys yeah. all in the same weight class you have six of them that are all phenomenal fighters but never ever are you going to see them fight each other they keep them separate and you know so that way they can you know keep together the, the train of well this guy and that guy and sell more tickets 
where the UFC doesn't do that. The best face the best, and you know they come out, and some guys lose, and they come back, and, and the fans, I think, uh, appreciate that and realize that a guy being undefeated doesn't mean what people used to think it meant. Yeah. Would you go so far as to say that if a if an MMA fighter doesn't have at least a loss or two on his record, if we're talking about him, uh, you know, whether or not he belongs in the upper echelon of, you know, champions or title shots or whatever, if he doesn't have, let's just say it's somebody you have not heard of, hypothetically, if it's someone that doesn't have a loss or two, you kind of wonder what's wrong with them, you know? Yeah, well, a lot of times that comes up, you know, when guys sit there and go, oh, this guy's, you know, 30 and 0. I'm like, but he, but where and mm-hmm. who's he fought? Mm-hmm. Uh, that uh, that O immediately becomes kind of suspect mm-hmm. because then you start thinking like, well, what level of competition have you been facing? That you know from the very beginning of your career, you've just walked through everybody. Um, when guys have had adversity and fight, you know, tough fights, they tend to be a quality fighter of, of much more quality later on in their career. Um, you know losses kind of define you and they can make you grow much more than successes. I think people can relate to that in life. You know, a person who, you know, has an easy life and everything just kind of goes their way. Yeah. Typically doesn't have the same fortitude or characteristics of a person who's had to overcome adversity. And we see that, you know, life is really on display in the octagon. Guys go ahead and have losses or have, you know, stumbling blocks. They have face that adversity. It usually either makes him or breaks him. If you continue to see that guy, it's because he's overcome the adversity and he's able to uh, flourish. And he's that much better of a fighter because of it, not in spite of it. I think my introduction to that, that might have been Randy Couture because, you know, Randy, obviously one of the greatest of all time, Hall of Famer, but even when I first became aware of Randy, I mean, he had six losses on his record. I mean, I can remember exactly what the number was, but, yeah. I mean, coming from, you know, the the boxing world, which is what I was aware of first, where you're used to, oh, my gosh, you know, one or two losses, and people are talking about you like, you know, you, you your better days might have been behind you, at least at the top level. Uh, you know, to, to see that guy and and to watch him and how great he was, and then to realize, wow, he's got he's got some losses on his record. I think that's where that that really hit home with me. And so so I think it's actually you know flipped around to where, like I said, you would be a little bit suspicious of somebody yeah. if they were described as one of the all time greats and didn't have some yeah, losses. I think you can relate it to you know the other combat sports. You know, mm-hmm. if we go to Olympic level, you know, judo, or you go to you know national level wrestling, you know, here in America. Even if you go out there and you, you watch the finals of the NCAA, it's very rare that you see a kid walk in there and go, and this guy undefeated. Yeah, You have national champions that have losses on their record just that past season. But they grew and they're, and they're developing and they push beyond that and they become a better grappler from facing that kind of adversity, having 30, 40 matches in a year. If people start becoming too obsessed with their record and just keeping it clean and you know their management tries to pick fights that are safe for them yeah aesthetically their record will look better but i don't think you're going to have the same quality of fighters if somebody you throw out there and you throw them a little bit obviously you could put somebody you know in a dangerous situation where they fight somebody that could hurt them but as long as they're matched up evenly i think putting guys out there to see if they can get through the adversity it, it only improves them as a fighter and our fans i think realize that you see guys out there that have losses on their record that are champions and and we still follow them we still appreciate their abilities because you know guys go out there and, and again you know i think people relate to mma so well because it is such a uh, an analogy for life 
You go out there and watch a person. You put in hard work. You can go out there and, and, and do what you're supposed to do. And sometimes you come up short because life just, you know, put a monster in front of you that day. Or, or you maybe you, you know, you got injured. You're sick. You didn't show up at 100%. Whatever the case may be, or you know, you're the underdog, and everybody thought there was no chance you could win, and you go out there and you score the uh, the, the game-winning strike. And uh, so, either way, you know, people I think you know get behind guys and follow their careers, and not just for the fact of well, this guy is you know bigger than life and he's unbeatable. Mm-hmm. We don't really create those guys anymore. Yeah, yeah. I uh, I'm uh, particularly interested too in this co-main event, Hannon Burrell, the former uh, bantamweight champion of the world taking on little heathen jeremy stevens in a featherweight contest now what's happening here is burrell is moving up after that uh pair of losses to tj dillashaw he's moving up in weight 10 pounds he's going from bantamweight to featherweight stevens is a former lightweight fighter who has uh, reinvented himself as a featherweight so you know in some ways, you're talking about a, a theoretical difference of about 20 pounds here. You right. know, one guy moving up 10, one guy who has fairly recently uh, dropped 10. And I think um, I think this is going to be a real test for, for Hen and Burrell. I mean, this is a guy who just not very long ago we were talking about as one of the pound-for-pound pound best fighters in the world. And uh, until uh, he ran into to TJ Dillashaw and, and actually and ended up looking even worse uh, in their rematch uh, back at uh, uh, back in uh, July of last year, just about this uh, time last year. Yeah, yeah. When uh, Dillashaw knocked him out, of course, Dillashaw knocked him out uh, both times, but but finished him quicker. Uh, in the rematch than he did uh, the the first fight and the second fight wasn't even nearly as close. Uh, that being said, Jeremy Stevens is uh, is a very tough opponent for him, especially given the size difference. You want to talk about? We we're just talking about that record. Jeremy Stevens, a guy who's twenty four and twelve. He's got twelve losses on his record, uh, and yet he's only thirty years old. He's been around the UFC for a long time. Powerful guy. Yeah. What do you think about this, uh, Frank? Well, I mean, uh, you know, Burrell is uh, is maybe top to bottom uh, the more accomplished fighter, but when you run into a guy that's as seasoned as Jeremy Stevens, particularly a guy who has fought bigger when you fought smaller on paper, that looks concerning. Well, a couple factors come into it. one. I think Hinnom Burrell. The reason why he moved up is, I mean, there was one fight that he was supposed to. I think the first time he was supposed to face TJ, he was trying to cut weight and passed out. Mm-hmm. So I think that that uh, was the second one. That was the second. That was one. the second one. Okay. Yeah, that was the uh, that was when the rematch should have happened originally, and Joe Soto had to step in as last minute replacement in Sacramento because basically the rematch yes. was delayed. Yeah. So you know that, that goes to show you the guy you know was a hard cut to go down to forty five. Yeah. And so um, I think that you know he's not going to be a small lightweight. I think that if anything, the the move up is to try to fight more at his uh, body weight, his more mm-hmm. natural weight, which featherweight. Small featherweight. Yeah. And so, oh, yeah. Yeah. Featherweight, sorry. And so, um, you know, especially now with the new regulation coming in with USADA, talking about the guys have to make a certain weight the week before the fight. Right. IV ban. Right. So I think there's a lot of factors going in that some of these guys aren't going to be here. You're going to see some guys move up in weight classes. I think Hennon Burrell is going to be one of them. And I don't think that he's going to be at a huge disadvantage because he was huge for his weight class to begin with. Mm -hmm. Uh, And Jeremy Stevens, you know, going down, he's a very powerful guy. I've seen some highlight highlight reel knockouts where he's put guys up against a cage, almost uh, cartoon style. 
style. Yeah. Uh, I'm kind of curious how much of that power he's going to be able to keep with him, dropping an additional 10 pounds to go down. Um, it wasn't like he was a fat, lightweight that you know had a you know a soft stomach. He was pretty muscular and lean at that weight class. So to cut down ten more ta- pounds, he's given up some water uh, and some just you know uh, nutrition. You know he's obviously not going to feel as good as he felt at fifty-five. It's just impossible. He's going to have to give up a little bit of muscle. And so that being the case, it's how much of his performance is going to be hurt by this first time sh- stepping in there. And you're stepping against a guy who's a world-class competitor in Hennon Burrell. So, um, you know, on paper, you know, I think this fight's pretty even. If not, I'm sliding towards Hennon, you know, that he's going to come back. You know, this is his opportunity to reinvent himself in a new weight class. He can push the uh, other losses behind him, saying that just, you know, the weight cut became too much. Mm-hmm. If he goes out there and he can make a good push for, uh, you know, the new version of himself here at the, uh, the featherweight class. Jeremy Stevens has lost three of his last four fights, but those losses <laughs> were to the likes of Max Holloway, Charles Oliveira, and Cub Swanson, and those were all decision losses. The the uh, lone victory of the last four fights was against Dennis Bermudez when he KO'd Bermudez in the third round on the undercard of uh, UFC 189, which was uh, Chad Mendez and Conor McGregor, and I was at that card live. That was the fight card that had uh, Robbie Lawler and Roy McDonald on it. Well, that was a pretty highlight reel knockout, if I remember. Oh, it was fantastic. Jeremy, didn't he catch him with a flying yeah. at one point? It was It was what I remember about it was... He was hurt, too, wasn't he? Yeah, I, yeah. No, it was a back-and-forth fight, and... Probably, I don't see how that fight in any other universe would not have won fight of the night had it not been for the fact that before the night was over, Robbie Lawler and Rory McDonald fought like one of the craziest fights anybody's ever seen. But, uh, yeah, so it kind of gets overshadowed a little bit uh, by that. But it just goes to show you that all win-loss records are not created equal. At this point in the show, I want to jump to an interview that I was able to tape with Jorge Gamebred Masvidal. As you guys know, sometimes uh, interview times don't exactly sync up with when Frank and I sit down to tape the show, so sometimes I got to grab them on my own. But let me tell you what, Jorge Masvidal, I have interviewed a number of times over the years, and uh, this guy has one of the most colorful personalities and uh, one of the most creative minds going, as you are going to see uh, in this interview. He did not disappoint. We, we took a little extra time to go off on uh, kind of a wild improvisational tangent. So uh, hopefully uh, you're going to find it entertaining. You'll see what I mean when you uh, give it a listen. So for the next few minutes, enjoy the guy who's going to be taking on Lorenz Larkin on the main card of this uh, Sunday night UFC fight night here in Las Vegas at Mandalay Bay. It's Gamebred, Jorge Masvidal. Jorge, good to talk to you again, man. How are you? I'm good, man. How you doing? Real good, man. This uh, this is one of those fights that looks real good on paper when uh, I see you guys uh, getting matched up. You and Lorenz, uh, a couple of uh, of strike force veterans from way back in the day, but I guess you guys never came close to crossing paths back then because he was he was fighting a lot heavier. You were down at lightweight, and he was fighting a lot heavier back then, right? Yeah, I think he was like a light heavyweight. And I was at, uh, I was at lightweight, so that wasn't gonna happen then. Yeah, yeah, he's uh, he's kind of consistently worked his way down to welterweight, and uh, 
as I recall, the the last time we spoke, we were talking about you making the move from lightweight to welterweight, and you were saying you just you felt like it was the right time with the the IV ban and uh, and, and all that kind of stuff. Uh, was how's how's that been working out for you? The the transition to welterweight. How do you feel about it? I feel great, man. Without these new rules and stipulations, I, I couldn't have made 55, um, especially with that new 8% rule and stuff like that. So I'm I'm great at 70. 70 is my weight, man. It's my home. How does Lorenz look to you size-wise? I mean, do you anticipate that uh, come Sunday night you're in there with uh, that much bigger of a of a fighter? Uh, I don't think he's gonna be that much bigger of a fighter. He just he's got a lot of fat and shit. He's fatter than me, but he's not like bigger than me overall. You know? Yeah, yeah. Well, and you're you're gonna go in there with a couple of inches reach advantage at that. Uh, he looked to be pretty much the uh, yeah. same same height, both uh, uh, same height on paper. Uh, you know, Jorge, when I think about uh, your last couple of fights and your record, uh, I, I'm sure if I say it that it's uh, frustrating, it's really frustrating to you. But, uh, you know, despite the fact that you've won seven of your last nine, uh, I seem to remember I can make a pretty good argument for thinking that you won uh, the last two fights that you lost against Benson Henderson and, and Al Iaquinta. That, uh, that Iaquinta fight in particular was pretty controversial. So is that something that sticks in your mind, or is it only problematic when uh, when when idiots like me bring it up? <laughs> no, my brother, it's, it's always problematic. Um, that's uh, two big paychecks I didn't cash in because the judges just, I don't know, I don't know what they were doing at the moment. They didn't. Uh, they weren't looking at the same fight that I was involved in. I think, but um, it's in the past. I, I try not to think about it too much, but it sucks, you know, because that those wins catapult you to to go to different places. And, and losing those fights, not only do you lose that check, but you're not in the win column. So now you got to face somebody coming off a loss or something like that. And you know, it's never it's never cool to have to start back from scratch. Yeah, and uh, of course, with that being said, the, the those two losses, Iakenta and Henderson. Henderson's out of the organization now, and uh, you've left Iakenta back at uh, at lightweight. So you're definitely moving on. So eleven wins by knockout, Jorge, and uh, you look over at uh, Lorenz's uh, side of the numbers, and he's had ten wins by knockout. So on paper. Uh, this looks to be uh, like this could be a pretty exciting strike in affair. Uh, is that what you would uh, anticipate if you were doing the desk analysis, looking at uh, Lorenz Larkin's record in your own? Yeah, definitely. I'm just going to get in his face, put the pressure, try to just beat him up. I'll, I'll go for takedowns too because I can wrestle, you know, and I don't think he's a wrestler. So I'll mix it up in there, you know. I'm going to do everything that I've always done in all my fights, you know, and that's punch people in the face, make them miss, and take them down, and repeat and rinse. Yeah, you know, and also both you guys are known as uh, uh, first-round finishers. You've got six, he's got seven, so uh, it, it kind of sounds like this uh, is not likely to be one of those fights where anybody's starting real slow. What do you think? No, no, I don't think uh, I'll be starting slow. And he always likes to step on the gas right away because he knows he doesn't have a great gas tank. So um, it, it's going to be a good fight, man. I can't wait. I just want to get in there. Just it, whether it was him or whoever it was, Joe Smoke. I haven't fought in a long time. Uh, I had a couple of injuries that I'm 100 percent now. So I'm just I'm ready to get in there and, and break somebody's jaw piece. 
This is a real interesting uh, fight card, Jorge, because uh, it, it's a little unusual for a Vegas card. You know, we're, we're used to, in Vegas, it's usually a, a, a Saturday night pay-per-view card, particularly the Memorial Day weekend card historically has always been uh, a, a big one. And I think because of scheduling this year and the fact that we're, we're right on the cusp of UFC 200, what we're getting from the UFC Sunday night is a fight night card. It's going to be televised on Fox Sports 1. And and man, it's one of these cards that I look at, and and there's some really exciting matchups on this card. You know, it uh, there's no championship on the line or anything like that. So it's one of those things where there may not be one fight necessarily that has a, a name like Conor McGregor attached to it or something like that. But you start working your way up and down this card, uh, your fight included. There are some very compelling matchups on this card, and odds makers have every fight on the main card very, very close. Uh, you've been around a long time. I mean, when you when you look at the the matchups on this card, do you see what I see? That it's uh, it's really kind of anybody's uh, night to to steal the show and uh, maybe emerge from from this card being a little uh, certainly a little bigger star and a little bit more of a household name than they were. No, definitely. When it comes to the to the pick them up. Me and uh, we, I got a team of associates that uh, we sit down and we put money together and we go hit the, the pits up and, and, and bet our money on it and try to get rich off my knowledge combined with their betting knowledge. And this is a tough part. I told him, I go, man, there's not really too many fights I want to pay for betting. You know, so me and my business associates are going to have to sit back down, keep looking at footage and stats. And uh, I, it, it's tough, you know. So that right there lets you know that, you know, if a, if a OG – a betting connoisseur like myself can't make direct picks yet. It's going to be a good card. It's evenly matched. I didn't know about this, Jorge. I didn't know you had a, this this team of business associates. I'm I'm sensing a uh, maybe at the when the point in time comes that you decide to step away from live competition. Maybe you ought to get involved in one of these uh, like a handicapping side or something like that. Have you given some some thought to that to doing professional handicapping? Oh, no, I mean, I've been already doing this since I was, like, 19, 20. We take bets, um, especially in my neighborhood. Everybody knows me as uh, Bet A Lot George. And you could just reach me at, uh, like, Instagram or, or Twitter or anything like that. Um, we, we're always placing bets, taking bets. So you could just hit me up, you know. There's, uh, there's always room for more bets, you know. Okay. Charge right. a small, like, charge fee. We don't charge as much as, like, Bulldog in them. So just if you find me on social media and you want to place a bet, just hit me up, you know. I got PayPal and such. Wow. Okay. I love it. I mean, I know you're using Instagram, but now you're painting a visual for me. I imagine one of those old school looks where you got the little short pencil behind your ear and a little notepad and you're, you're taking down numbers, nothing like that anymore, huh? With the big shades. Yeah. And, uh, you forgot about my visor hat. <laughs> yeah. The green visor hat, right? <laughs> the green visor hat. Oh, that's awesome, dude. Well, uh, you know, I, I, I'm really looking forward to being there in person and uh, just, just sitting back and, you know, covering these fights but watching uh, a great night of fights. Since since you do have a little experience in handicapping uh, those fights, uh, let me let me ask you while I have a minute uh, about anything else on the card that comes to mind. You know, one of the intriguing matchups for me is uh, that co-main event that's got Henan Burrell facing Jeremy Stevens because much like we were just talking about the fact that Lorenz Larkin, your opponent, had fought back at light heavyweight back in the day Stevens is a guy who's recently come down from lightweight to featherweight and Henan Burrell not very long ago the bantamweight champion of the world and debated as being one of the pound for pound best 
he's actually moving up in featherweight. So, so you've got a kind of a theoretical difference of 20 pounds or so between these two guys. Any thoughts on uh, how you see that one? I can't. My business associates is shaking their heads like, don't get too much detail into it. But this is for my fans and for you because I like you, man. I'll give you my, my thought process on it. Yes. I'm staying away from that fight because I don't know how Hannon Burrell is going to react at 145. Maybe he was sucked out at um 35, you know. He is coming off two losses, and, and Jeremy Stevens could crack, man. I mean, he's my boy, so he's got, like, you know, I'm, I'm kind of biased towards towards Jeremy. But that that's a... Uh, it's one of those tougher bets, but me personally, I'm putting my money on Stevens, especially him being the dog, you know? Yeah, yeah, makes sense. I think that's uh, going to be a very compelling matchup to watch. Are you interested in doing you know, I think that's, that's going to be one of the better matches. You know, Jorge, you are always uh, uh, so good on interviews and fight analysis and stuff like that. Are, are you are you one of the guys who would would like to have more of a crack at doing you know fight analysis? I mean, even at this point in your career, when you're not fighting, and then maybe looking at doing more of that down the line as you get older. Uh, if if they pay, I play. That that's what I say. You know, if I'm gonna make money doing it, for sure. You know, I don't I don't mind doing anything, man. Um, I could be a bookie. I could, you know, commentate fights. I could cook. You know, as long as they're paying me, I, I'll do whatever, man. You know, I I know you I can, can get cook. money. I got bills. I know you can cook. You like to make cupcakes when it rains, right? You know it, my brother. <laughs> ah, still one of the greatest answers I uh, I ever got in an interview, man. I appreciate that. Uh, how's uh, how are things in uh, the world of ATT these days? You're still down there with the ATT guys in Florida, right? Oh, always, man. I got uh, Mike Brown right here next to me, one of the head coaches over there. Um, it's great, man. Stuff is is always good, you know. We got we just got we just moved into the Walmart facility, so it's huge, you know. It has um has dorms so we're getting a lot of new talent coming in just checking out the place and uh it's awesome and the vibe's always good we're just working hard you know everybody everybody's uh loving the facility you know? yeah that you know that that dorm thing that's a real nice uh perk to have i mean especially for the new young fighters that you know want to just live it and and do nothing but uh eat sleep and and train when you were coming up did you have any kind of situation like that like a you know a a, a group house that you you lived in with other guys that were training anything like that yeah um the back seat of my car and friends couches i've never I never got that experience. It, uh, when I started, it was um, I started. I'm I'm like a dinosaur almost already in this sport. I started pre Ultimate Fighter, you know. Yeah. So there was like a lot of things that you know weren't there for fighters when I started. You know, it was it was kind of looked at like you know like uh, I don't know, like a gladiator thing when I started fighting and stuff. You know, and then after Ultimate Fighter, then everybody wanted to be a fighter and have a MySpace page dedicated to fighting and stuff. But when I started, it was it wasn't about you know, Facebook and shit like that, you know? Do you ever, like, uh, go over to the dorm and kind of talk like somebody's dad, you know, where you start telling them those stories about, hey, back in my day, I had to live in the back seat of my car. I didn't have a dorm like this. You're lucky to have it, you young guys. You ever give them a lecture like that? I, I give the lectures. I don't go to the dorms to give the lectures. I just give the lectures, like, anywhere I catch them. I, just, I don't go to the dorms because, um, I don't know, it's like a bunch of young dudes in there, and I'm thinking the place is probably, like, a mess. 
Yeah. And it's a bunch of dudes. I don't like hanging out with dudes, man, so I don't be going up in the dorms. Makes sense. Makes a lot of sense. Jorge Masvidal uh, has been my guest. You're going to see him taking on Lorenz Larkin uh, Sunday night on uh, Fox Sports 1 as part of UFC Fight Night cards going down live from Mandalay Bay here in uh, Las Vegas. Don't miss this one. Get get in front. Of, if, you, if you're not here live, uh, get on the couch or at the sports bar or wherever you're watching early. Uh, and uh, don't miss the undercard. And then uh, when things get rolling on the main card, that's where you're going to see Jorge. Uh, this thing, top to bottom, uh, looks like just a whole matchup of fireworks. So I think it's going to be a, a great night of fights. So let's remind everybody one more time before I let you go, Jorge, how they can find you out there on uh, social media and uh, follow your pursuits. Where do we find you? You can find me on Instagram at GameBreadFighter. You can find me on Twitter at Game Break Fighter. Facebook is just my name. Uh, we taking all bets, cash money. For cash, usually you got to see me in person or see one of my business associates. We taking PayPal via my Instagram and Twitter and such. So just if you out there listening to this and you want to make money or you want to invest with a real company, come holla at Westchester United Financial <laughs> Financial Connoisseurs. Yeah. Okay. Uh, yeah. Okay. Yeah, man. We, okay. We got, we got the. We, got the, we just launched it, man. I just decided, hey, man, we're going public with it, man. I think you just announced an initial public offering on my show, so I don't know. I don't know how that affects the uh, stock exchange commission, but but we'll find out on Monday. Don't worry about it for right now. Just worry about the fight, and then we'll see oh, how man. the numbers break down on Monday. Oh, man. This is great news, man. <laughs> this is this is a big a big moment for me and my business associates. Congratulations to you all. Uh, Mike Brown, too, if he's involved in this enterprise. Uh, give him my best. And Jorge. Oh, yeah, yeah. Mike, Brown, Mike Brown's one of the, the, the founding fathers of my uh, business associates. Oh, he's involved. He's an initial, like, uh, uh, original partner. That's good. That's good stuff. Yeah, uh, yeah. He he had a, a lot of knowledge and uh, not too. He didn't invest too much money, but we, since he's Mike Brown, we let him kind of just slide. You know, he didn't want to put too much money initially. Now that the company's getting big, now he wants like bigger stocks and stuff. Stock but options. Initially, he just came in with his name. You know. Nope. Stock options. That's how you do it, man. You take the stock options. Matt, Jorge, you never disappoint, brother. I will see you at uh, Media Day today. Thank you so much for the time. Good luck in there Sunday night, and and look forward to the next time we visit, man. It's always a pleasure. Thanks for the time today. Thank you, my brother. God bless, man. That was Jorge Gamebred Masvidal. And uh, as promised, now some audio from UFC Fight Night open workouts here in Las Vegas, just a couple hours old as we record. You are going to hear me ask a couple of questions each to the following fighters in order. Cody Garbrandt, Jeremy Stevens, Hennan Burrell, Brian Caraway and Al Jermaine Sterling, a pretty fair representation of the talent that is on Sunday night's Fox Sports 1 card from Las Vegas here Sunday night at Mandalay Bay. Also, I was Snapchatting the entire open workout today, so if you want to see some video that goes along with the audio you're about to hear, go to our Phone Booth Fighting Snapchat. The username is Phone Booth Fight. You can see the guys that I talked to uh, hitting pads and rolling on the mats and all that kind of stuff. Snapchat username Phone Booth Fight. So check this out. Here's a little audio from today's UFC Fight Night open workouts. Cody, uh, Almeida obviously known not to uh, waste much time trying to get in there, pressuring from the beginning. Same could be said for you. But when you see a guy that fights aggressive like that, does that also mean that he opens himself up to make mistakes early? See a knockout. He's coming forward good. He's going to come. For he never came forward on a fighter that hits like me, that moves like me. So he's going to be on a 
world of hurt and when he can hurt people you see him you know he does things in um broken movement uh, combination then waits to the hurt and then jumps on him you know so when he comes in with that broken movement those, those counters and my speed and once I hit him once, he's gonna turn, try to turn into a brawl. I, I know it, so uh, that's how I'm looking forward for the fight. He wants to turn into a brawl. I'm a better brawler than him. I'm a better fighter than him. I'm a better martial artist than him. Anywhere the fight goes, he just has a 21 and 21 and 0 record. Uh, that's everyone's looking looking at compared to my skill set, my wrestling background, uh, my boxing experience, and all my boxing fights. Uh, so they can say that you know records are you know the favorite, but his style is. So I picked this fight. His style is perfect for me. Uh, Team Alpha Male, a very tight camp. They've they've been there for you before when you've been on undercards, but this is the first time you're in the main event. Any different feeling from those guys because you're the uh, bell of the ball, so to speak? No, it's been the same. You know, business as usual. Everyone's in the gym helping me out. You know, that's that's what we have. You know, right after a fight, I'm back in the gym helping my teammates out like they helped me out. You know, we got a bunch of them out here now. We got Alex Sandoval. You know, Josh Emmett just fought and uh, over the country got signed on six days' notice. Got a win. Uh, we got Chris Holdsworth, Danny, all these guys here are supporting me got Darren Elkins coming in tomorrow so uh, they're all excited for me you know we've been putting in hard work together and it's, when I win we all win you know that's, that's how it is on the team. Jeremy you're uh, the UFC obviously has faith in you putting you in the co-main event slot and you've delivered so many times apart from the wins and losses when you're told that you're going to be given that distinction of a co-main event slot is there a uh, an intangible satisfaction to that knowing that the promotion has that kind of faith in you? Yeah, for sure. I've known that for a long time, so it's not it's not anything new to me. Uh, I've been putting on great performances and delivering knockouts and, and you know just wars that the fans really like. And uh, this is a fight that I'm excited for. And uh, you know I know he's I know he's going to come and bring it. So I'm excited for that. I like I like those types of fights. I don't really like that karate point and lay and pray type crap. So this is going to be a great fight. This is going to be a fight for the fans. It's going to be something that I really love and enjoy, and I'm just going to have a lot of fun in there come Sunday night. Now following up on that point, uh, despite the fact that he did lose to Dillashaw twice and he was finished, Dillashaw did have to take him into the fourth and also the fifth round. So being a guy who uh, goes for those finishes, do you do you look that, do you see that, and do you respect something in that that he actually did have to go that deep in the fight to finish him? Yeah, I don't ever look just, you know, train that I'm going to go in there and knock him out in like 15, 20 seconds. You know, I don't I don't train for that. I come in tremendous shape. I hit hard as, hard as hell, and uh, I know I have that power to knock you out in the first or the, the very last minute of the third. It's been proven, and that's what I train for. So, you know, if he can take it, I'm going to keep dishing it. You know, I, I won't mind beating him up for all, all 15 minutes. You know, I have no problem where this fight goes. I'm comfortable everywhere, you know, and I've, I've been here, done it so many times, and uh, I'm just getting more and more excited that, that the day's coming, and uh, it's, it's about his time to end. And then uh, uh, Stevens is a fighter who up until fairly recently was actually fighting up at 155, but you were always big for a bantamweight. Uh, given that, do you think that on fight night, all, all things considered, you end up being essentially the, the same size fighter? Well, Stefan estava lutando nos 70 quilos, né? E você estava tá subindo para 145. Você acha que com todos os fatores vai ser mais ou menos o mesmo tamanho? Acho que esse tamanho não tem problema nenhum, né? Eu sempre treinei com, com grandes atletas bem mais pesados do que eu e mais fortes. Então, quanto a isso, eu estou bem tranquilo. Eu acho que o tamanho é documento. Que vai, lá, vai valer lá no dia da luta, o coração e, e a vontade de vencer. Eu não acho que size é realmente um problema. Eu estou acostumado a lutar guys bigger than me, you know, and I think that when it comes down to the nitty-gritty, it's heart what's, what matters, and I'll show 
You know, in the in the title fights, you really showed uh, a lot of heart. Your your opponent had to take you into deep rounds, the fourth and the fifth, to uh, to actually win the fight. Stevens is a guy who uh, is is known as a very gritty fighter. In a way, do you think that those title fights kind of prepared you to take on such a, a hard-nosed fighter like Stevens? Você é um lutador que mostra muito coração. Os caras que te venceram tiveram que quarto, quinto round realmente te levar para águas profundas para te ganhar. O, o Stephens é um cara que todo mundo reconhece realmente duro nisso, mas você acha que essa tua experiência vai ser um, um, um diferencial nessa luta? Acho que isso vai ser bom. Acho que vai ser bom, vai ser muito bom, não só para mim, mas para todos os fãs que, que, que é um cara que, que cai, que cai para dentro e eu gosto de lutar com o coração e cair para dentro também. Então, acho que só quem tem que ganhar são eles. I think it's going to be very good. I think it's going to be very good defense. Uh, Stephens is a guy that comes to fight. He really comes and brings it, and that's the type of fight I like. So I think everybody's going to be a win, win by that. Brian, what are your thoughts, uh, particularly on the grappling aspect of this matchup? I mean, uh, uh, Sterling's got a lot of uh, credit up to this point, but do you feel like you're the man that's made to pressure him in a way he hasn't necessarily been pressured before? Absolutely. I mean, if you look at all of his fights uh, that have been in the UFC, he's fought all strikers. He fought Cody Gibson, who is the only wrestler that that you know he's fought, and. And Gibson's not known for having a submission game, really. He's basically a tall, lanky striker. And uh, he gave Aljamain a lot of troubles. You know, I mean, I think Gibson was winning the fight. Uh, lack of experience let, let Cody give that fight away, I think. Uh, a couple times he, he had a dominant position, and he tried to go for a guillotine, gave up top position, and lost the third round. I think Gibson could have easily won that fight, and he was the only wrestler that, that Aljamain fought. The other fights were purely Muay Thai strikers with, with basic – I'm not saying that they're not good. Their striking's phenomenal, and they have good defensive jiu-jitsu, but not the style that, that – Myself or Aljamain brings with that wrestling, catch wrestling style, not just jiu-jitsu, you know, not wrestling. We really blend the, the catch wrestling style, and I don't know if that's what he calls it, but to me, that's the style is catch wrestling. And uh, you know, I think that's why he was able to expose their weaknesses. You know, he's able to take them down and expose their weaknesses where he was strong. And I absolutely think I'm the person that will push Aljamain uh, either, you know, to, to new heights, whether uh, you know whatever whatever happens. You know. Um, I believe my, my grappling and MMA wrestling is higher than his. You know, um, I have to. You know, I've been doing this longer, but uh, yeah, I, I think I'm going to be an interesting equation for him. You know, I have 42 MMA fights. I fought everybody. I fought strikers, wrestlers, grapplers. Um, you know, I fought every type of fight there is, and uh, even in the UFC, I fought a wide variety of, uh, of different types of athletes. And uh, so I think I'm just more well-rounded with the experience to, to deal with the adversity that comes up throughout the fight. Al, during your time in the UFC, you've won your fights a variety of ways. TKO, you've gone the decision, a couple of submissions, including a, a pretty unusual one, uh, the choke from the bottom. Anything else in your bag of tricks that you've been working on that you haven't had a chance to showcase yet and you're kind of hoping there might be an opportunity? I, I, got, a ton of, I got a ton of things that I do, man. And like my coaches always talk about, it's, it's just me more so, I guess, pulling the trigger. I mean, when they see me week after week sparring two times a week, and I'm, you know, I'm fighting once under those bright lights once every six months. It's hard for me to, to get comfortable so I can pull up the same things that I'm doing in training out there for everybody to see. So I think each fight I, I show development, I show improvement, and that's what it's all about, taking, you know, taking a slow and steady approach instead of trying to get somewhere before you're ready and the next you know your world come, kind of comes crashing down. You know, I'm prepared for the worst and I'm prepared for the best and uh, I'm just gonna go out there and have fun, man. And if, I, think, I think you guys are gonna be in for a treat for this one. I think there's gonna be some some craziness happened. I think he's eager to punch me in the face, and I'm ready to uh, 
prove once and for all why I believe I'm the best grappler in this division and why I should be next in line for a title shot. A lot of people are describing Brian Caraway as the gatekeeper between you and that uh, potential title shot. Obviously, he's a veteran of the game, but do you give him that, uh, you know, all those accolades are deserved on his part, that, that he really should be in between you and that title shot? Oh, 100%. If you look at his resume, I think he has about 10 or 12 wins that are unsanctioned, but he's got about 30 pro, pro wins, but his wins that are documented, I think he's got like 16 or 18 finishes out of 20 wins, and uh, he's never been finished in the UFC. Most, I think all his UFC wins have been finishes, um, excluding Eddie Wineland, and Eddie Wineland is a former WEC champ. So if you look at his resume, going toe-to-toe -to -toe Rafael Sunsau, and he took him down a couple of times, he, he, he gutted it out, and you know he, he kept going, he kept going forward, and that's what I want, I want that challenge. So uh, for people telling me this is an easy fight, I know it's not an easy fight. I'm smart enough to know um, why, why take an easy fight. I, I'm, the goal of mine is to fight for the belt. So why take easy fights to get to the belt just to get crushed? I'm not, I'm not looking to do that. So I want to make sure I'm slowly but steady progressing. And um, I think Caraway is the next logical step in terms of where I'm at in my career. I don't look at him as a gatekeeper. I think he's one of the best in the division for a reason. And I, I want to be able to beat another guy like that and add him to my resume. Skill-wise, what stood out about him to you that made you call him out? What, what, what? what skill set is concerned? What was it about his skill set? Oh, it's his, it's his grappling. And he's a world-class grappler. If you watch his, some of his uh, exchanges with uh, Tike Mizugaki, uh, Rafael Sunsau, his slick takedown some, um, attempts and takedowns that he's actually gotten. Uh, the transitions he had with um, Eric Bojito. And he's, he's one of the best guys and I think people are sleeping on him because of the whole thing with Misha and him being, you know, kind of just walking in a shadow and just kind of leeching onto everything that she gets in terms of success. Um, that's another story, but I, I know skill when I see it and he has it. And I think that's what's going to pose the most, the most threat to me. He, he wants to make this a fist fight. And uh, I'm smart enough to know how to uh, win a fight without actually going out there and brawling. I want to make this a technical fight, and I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna fall into his game of just trying to make it a dirty fight because uh, I'm smarter than that. That's what he wants, and I think he knows that's his only way of winning. So um, I just can't see him getting the better of me and grappling. I'm younger, I'm hungrier. I want this more than he does. I, I know I do. That's going to do it for phone booth fighting this week. You can follow us on social media at phone booth fighting on instagram at phone booth fight on twitter and snapchat we are snapchatting all over the place these days so make sure you're following us on that the facebook page is facebook.com forward slash phone booth fighting you can subscribe to the podcast each and every week either in itunes on the stitcher radio platform or by going directly to phoneboothfighting.com. if you go to our itunes page uh please click on the five star rating that really helps us keep uh keep our uh our rankings up and uh, spread the word about the podcast. Uh, if you have a moment, write us a favorable review. We would certainly appreciate that. But be above and beyond uh, anything else, the best thing you can do for us is uh, tell a friend. Please tell a friend. Help us grow this thing. Uh, tell a friend who likes mixed martial arts or maybe they're just a fan of good conversation about phone booth fighting, and uh, we will thank you for it. You can follow him on social media, Twitter and Instagram, at the Frank Mir. You can follow me on Twitter and Instagram at Richard Hunter and for Frank Mir and our guest this week, Tim Sylvia. A big thank you to the former UFC heavyweight champ for joining us. I'm Richard Hunter. We'll see you right back here next week for another edition of Phone Booth Fighting. Everybody was Kung Fu.